What's happening, weirdos? <laughs> that was terrible. What's happening? That's right. Val's here. And but it's, it's not a we made it weird. You clicked on the right thing. That sounds like you're sad. Like you didn't click on no. the one with me. No, because you probably already listened to this week's We Made It Weird. This is You Made It Weird, and this is Sarah Cooper. Sarah Cooper. She's say, super cool. She's so cool. She's so wonderful. I really enjoyed this chat. If you haven't seen Everything's Fine um, on Netflix, if you haven't seen Everything's Fine, look again. Everything's Fine. <laughs> Uh, but it's also her special on Netflix. It's so funny. You don't have to have seen it to get this, but she is hilarious and brilliant, and I loved chatting with her. And uh, we're doing the intro. Sorry the, the recording quality might not be as ultra-premium as it usually is. Ultra-premium. <laughs> because uh, I'm recording this off our laptop. We decided to we, – we got out of town. You know, we, we got out of town. You don't need to know anything else. We got out of town, okay? <laughs> yeah, so if you hear a crackling fire in the back, it's because... We're out of town. Yes, we do have a fire, but no, it doesn't crackle. But this one does. That's right. This one crackles. I'm so excited. We have some new Pete's Picks. Uh, if you want to show your support of the show, I'm actually wearing my Pete's Picks. I haven't taken these off since I bought them, and it's been over a month, and I am not ashamed of that. <laughs> these are the perfect gene the perfect gene. And I swear this is the most earnest Pete's pick in the world. I have found the perfect pair of pants. I know Val knows this. Uh, I hate a hard pant. That's true. I resent that we live in a world where we have to wear hard, unforgiving, constricting, unbending, cardboard-like pants. Fuck that shit. I don't understand why we don't just give in, move into the 21st century and start wearing comfortable, soft pants. We're soft pants people, friends. The, the, the problem is, is they often don't look good. I, I would often wear yoga pants, uh, but I can't pull that off in public because I'm not Sting. Uh, one of the many things Sting can do mm-hmm. that I can't do. I'm talking about play that fretless bass. And I, I do mean tantric sex. Uh, but enter the perfect gene. It's a great look. They look incredible. It's like, it, it looks exactly like every high quality, terrible, tough pair of jeans that I've spent way too much money on. They look just like them. But they're super soft and flexible, so you can look good and no one needs to know your soft little secret, which is part of why I can't pull off what Sting pulls off, because I have a soft little secret. (laughs) Why are we trapping parts of our bodies, restricting them like they owe us money? Fellas, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your ding-dongs. These are the best pants I've ever owned. I would sleep in them. I have slept in them. They're that comfortable. They're made of premium stretch fabric. They got 2% spandex, 2.5% rayon. Rayon, underused. I used to wear rayon shirts in the 80s. Uh, For extra comfort and movement that your man parts require, the jeans stretches so your nuts ain't crushed, thereby (laughs) thereby providing the only true home for your bones. Do you like that? Oh, my God. Did you write that? They, uh, my friends at Perfect Gene, uh, provided me with the line, the only true home for your bone. I mean, I really think that's the reason enough to get these. Because it's the only true home for your bone? No, because you want to support people who think of the phrase only true home for your bone. This is like a legit 
these are just a couple guys that figured it out. So this isn't like some big business. This is like a new thing, wow. but they're always selling out. I have a hard time getting them. So don't sleep on, well, sleep in, but don't sleep on this offer, especially to get them for only 60 bucks with code uh, weirdo at checkout. As I said, they're super soft, uh, specialized washing. Uh, so your jeans literally feel as soft as the baby's butt. You may forget you're wearing pants. I often do. They're incredibly durable. They're constructed utilizing the highest quality materials and sewing techniques to provide you with a product that is built to last. I can attest to that. This isn't just like a gimmick. They're really, really high quality and really comfortable. And best of all, they're not khakis. Fuck your khakis, dude. What are we going to a Beastie Boys concert in 1991? Take off the khakis and spare your nuts while you're at it. The perfect gene for the perfectly imperfect men, only 60 bucks. Weirdo code at checkout at theperfectgene.nyc. That's www.theperfectgene.nyc. Code weirdo for 25% off. I don't care if you got lemons or lentils, a three-leaf clover, or a big old eggplant. (laughs) Zach wrote that too. The perfect gene has you covered. Seriously, I really, really love these jeans, and I'm so glad they're giving us a try. So if you like this show and you want to uh, support, get some perfect jeans. Also, I've been loving Ritual. Ritual is a multivitamin that comes in the mail. I've been doing it for a while now. It makes uh, makes me feel like I'm ready to start my day. It's how I start my day. One of the things I love about it is it's a slow-release formula. I do intermittent fasting, so I don't eat breakfast. So I finally have a multivitamin that I can take that doesn't make me puke. And as a 90% vegan, it has a lot of the things that I'm not getting that we used to get from the soil, but now we need to take in multivitamins. And especially men tend to overlook the importance of nutrition, but B12, of course, is something that I don't get from not eating meat. It's in there. Not only is it in there, but it's traceable back to its source. It comes with information, like a little packet, and you can uh, source it back to where they got each uh, of the ingredients, which I think is really cool. And the packaging, I love this. It's like an envelope. I sometimes feel bad subscribing to different things online. You get this huge box filled with like air bubble packets and Mm -hmm. stuff just for a little bottle of pills. This is literally the most eco-friendly and sufficient, efficient, and efficient way to get something mailed to you every month. And knowing that it's coming every month inspires me to take them because I'm like, well, I don't want these to pile up. And it's silly that I need something like that. But now I'm taking a multivitamin for the first time in my life every single day. And we all know that we deserve we to know what we're putting in our bodies and why, especially when it comes to something we're taking every day. And Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly multivitamin is formulated with high-quality ingredients in bioavailable forms that your body can actually use. That's what I mean. It's delayed so it It doesn't break down until it's in your lower intestine, which is when these things can actually get absorbed into your bloodstream. What you won't find, sugars, GMOs, major allergens, synthetic fillers, and artificial colorants, colorants, none of that. Plus the fresh taste. This is one of my favorite things. It tastes like mint. You know how you sometimes take Advil over Tylenol just because it tastes kind of good? Mm-hmm. It's got like that Advil candy. Yeah, the candy coating. I love Ritual because it tastes minty and That's it leaves cool. a minty taste in your mouth. Val's are on the way. We, we signed up for Val after, yeah. after mine. But mm-hmm. I love taking them. I keep them on my counter. I look forward to it. I love the packaging. I, I, I love that it makes me feel ready to start my day. And I love to know that I'm getting these things actually in my system as opposed to, you know, just peeing them out. Or worse, 
getting in my belly on an empty stomach and making me feel sick. So Ritual is the multivitamin reimagined. A multivitamin should contain key nutrients and forms your body can actually use to help fill the gaps in your diet. No shady extras. As I mentioned, their delayed release capsule delivers high quality nutrients, including vitamin D3. Very hard to get, especially in the winter if you're not getting as much sun as normally. Uh, you would be in just two daily pills. It's traceable. As I mentioned, you can get it in their visible supply chain, know where the nutrients are coming from. It's designed with your life stage in mind, meaning you, uh, I'm 18 plus, they have them for four-year-olds and they have them for 50 plus, whatever your life stage is, Ritual has you covered and they make healthy habits easy. Your multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping always, as I mentioned, in very eco-friendly packaging. You can start, snooze, or cancel anytime. And if you don't love Ritual within your first month, they'll refund your first order. Boom, nothing to lose. Yeah, that's nice. A great way to get nutrients into your life and show your support of this uh, podcast and no BS. Get key nutrients without the bullshit. Ritual is offering weirdos 10% off for your first three months, visit ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash weird to start your ritual today. Ritual dot com slash weird. Love it. I like saying it twice. Yeah, it's twice. You're nice. helping support the show. I'll say it three times. Ritual dot com slash weird. Whoa. Whoa. I think that was a nice gift. Ritual dot com slash weird. <laughs> also, speaking of things you put in your body, how about things you put on your body? You guys know that I, we are a living libations family. For years, I have been very sensitive and mindful about what I put in my body, trying to make sure I knew what was in the food I was eating, trying to be as healthy as I can in what I would eat or drink. But I realized I wasn't being very careful about what I put on my body. I would eat uh, organic kale or whatever the fuck, but I was still buying shaving cream and face washes just because they were at uh, fancy French stores in the mall. And I thought they cost so much money and they were so hard to pronounce. They must absolutely be premium. But of course they aren't. These companies don't care. They're just selling you the same stuff filled with the same uh, weird toxins and that have been linked to disease, chemicals, never intended for humans. It wasn't supposed to. Nobody was like, ah, this is natural. It's not right. So enter living libations, high end. I can't stress that enough. This is high end, badass, gangbuster stuff that really, really works better than the chemical equivalents. And they're made with stuff that you actually recognize. You can read the ingredients and you won't be like, you won't not recognize any of them unless you don't know like, you know, certain oils are, but you you can Google that. <laughs> I use their ginger exfoliating scrub. That's an incredible pro tip right here, baked into the little Pete's pick. If you exfoliate before you shave, you're going to have a 10 times better shave, uh, guys, on your face. I'm not sure if that's the same for ladies. It's made with plants, oils, and extracts that I recognize, but it is the grittiest and most effective exfoliant I've ever found. So it's also just great as a face wash. I use their Zen Shave, which is so clean and natural and moisturizing. You can actually use a dab of it as aftershave. Try doing that with some anonymous neon uh, blue goo shot from a pressurized can. It's not going to work. Plus, I use their Best Skin Ever Moisturizer. Both Val and I use that at night. Mm -hmm. Smells great. Feels great. Gets your skin looking great. A wonderful way uh, to end your day and have something good soaking into your pores as you're going to, uh, going night-night. <laughs> as we call it in this house. As we call it because we have a two-year-old. Oh, and Lee, uh, wonderful baby product. Yep. Living Libations is actually a great way to support the show, which really, really means a lot to us. They have lots of things. If you just want to get like a little thing, 
uh, I'm sure whatever you're looking for, they have a, a, a natural and premium equivalent, and it won't cost a ton, and it would mean a lot to support the show. Uh, so whatever you got, Living Libations has a premium, natural, wonderful product to replace the random chemical nightmare they sell at 7-Eleven. So go to livinglibations.com and use promo code WEIRD for 20% off. Please note, for the perfect gene, it's weirdo, but for livinglibations.com, it's Weird for 20% off, which is really generous. Yeah, that's of, so nice. Of livinglibations.com for weird. Yes, slash or promo Not code slash weird. weird, promo code weird. Promo code weird. Promo code weird. <laughs> promo code weird. That's it, guys. Get some living libations on your body, get some ritual in your body, and get the perfect gene on your body. <laughs> yeah. That's it. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. I loved my chat with Sarah Coop. I burped. <laughs> Sarah Coop. Sarah Cooper. Sarah Cooper. Enjoy it as much as I did. Enjoy it half as much as I did, and you're going to poop your pants. Val? You're going to poop your perfect jeans. You're going to poop your perfect jeans. <laughs> but don't worry, the stretch will support it. You want to give us a get into it? Get into it. Ooh, sensual. Yeah. Get like, into it. I like it. Now let's eat chili. Oh, my God. Hi, Snooper. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Are you okay with Snooper? Is that okay? I don't like it, but I will deal with it. I will work through it on my own. Oh my God. We've <laughs> opened with how to be successful without hurting men's feelings. Accept the nickname. You have to laugh at it. You have to like, not just tolerate it, but celebrate it. Well, yeah, I shouldn't have said that I didn't like it. I should have been like, oh my God, call me Snooper, please. I haven't, forgive me, I've, I've consumed so much of your work. I haven't read that book, but just the title. I, I'm aware that I'm a man, but I'm like, that is so, re- that's so true. I, I Not that you need me to validate it, but I'm like, I can seem confident or whatever, gregarious, and like, if someone's like, I don't like that nickname, I'd be like, <laughs> like, like, I'd, and worse, I'd be like, well, I don't know if I care for them. Like, we're such titty babies, <laughs> supreme titty babies. So, so no snooper. Yeah, no snooper. I, I really only wrote the book for the title. I, I came up with the title and I was like, okay, I gotta write a book now <laughs> because it's really only the title that I wanted to do. So. Is that true? Not really, but kind of, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I, I just, I love these books that like have these great titles and these great covers and people just take pictures with them. And you know, you didn't, nobody read them, but yeah. they get all this great press just based on the title and the cover. So it's just like, just make titles and covers. Don't do any work. That's so funny. And I, yeah. you know, I, I wrote my first book, which I want to get to how I signed it. You sent me a photo that I signed a copy was for you. Was that your first book? That was my first book. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was like your third book or something. But Oh, yeah. I love that. Let's get that out there. Would you tweet that? <laughs> I love Pete's third book and like get some mystique going. I'm, I'm like a person devoid of mystique. So I'd love some mystique. Well, or, okay. Although there's a book, if you search my name on Amazon, there's a book by a guy named Pete Holmes that is written as if it were me in the past. It's called like Overcoming pornography addiction and the sin of masturbation by pete holmes and i'm like that's a book that 22 year old pete would have written so (laughs) i I think someone literally studied your younger life and wrote a book literally about your younger life it was fan fiction it was cosplay 
Um, but I, I just want to agree with you so hard. And then we'll get to the hellos and how excited I am to see you and have you on. But I also, you're an author, and I was like, holy shit, I think it's all titles. I talked to Ryan Holiday about this. Like, if you can get a killer title. And I'm not at all, not that it would matter if I was, putting down um, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. But that is going to sell so much more than Mm -hmm. Buddhism for every day or whatever. Like, a title. It's like a one-man show in Edinburgh. It's like you need the title that's like... yeah. Fuck was, you! Or what? I don't know. I don't know. There was a book called like I think I'm like I think my cat is trying to kill me or something like that. I, I can't good. remember exactly the name of it, but like so many people took pictures with the book and their cat over their shoulder because it was just a great photo. Like yes, perfect seller. Yeah, perfect. Well, you did it. You. I, I mean, so I'm not putting it down, but a great title. They say the same thing about movies. I don't know if this is true, but a friend of mine sold. Meaning, I think, got hired to write the script for a movie. I think it was called Walk of Shame. And and the studio was just like, we just want a movie called Walk of Shame. Like, <laughs> that, like everybody knows what a Walk of Shame is. My manager has the same theory about, he's like, you need to write a movie called Frenemies. This was 10 years ago. Because he was like, everybody wants to watch. But you know what? There's Tina Fey. There's Maya Rudolph. It's called Frenemies. You're clicking on it. You're clicking on it. Exactly. Exactly. There was a show called Selfie and it was like terrible, but everybody watched it because it was called Selfie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't remember. That was, you mean the show with Courtney Cox? Yeah. The the Courtney Cox Cougtown. What? (laughs) (laughs) Cougtown. No, but like, why they you? Why what phenomenon is related to that show? That's a good and fair oh, point. That's a, it's a it didn't. But that's my point, Sarah. I called my book <laughs> "Comedy Sex God." I wish I had called title. it. That's, yeah, that's very kind. Title. I really appreciate that. I got more grief than I wanted for people thinking I was calling myself a comedy sex god. I thought that was funny. Like, yes. of course I'm not. I'm. These are the three topics, but I'm sort yeah. of. Putting them together in this, oh, you're so kind. I really, but then I really wish, let me know what you think of this. I wish I had called it comedy and sex and God. You know how they have those shirts? Thank God you didn't. Really? Really? Get out. Really? I love this. It's so much more bold to be comedy, sex, God, Pete Holmes. I mean, mean, you did the right thing. Oh, my God. Uh, well, to put it back, I, I'm not going to forget you said that. That makes me happy. <laughs> well, we're recording, you... so. <laughs> I can listen to it again on a rainy. I don't say rainy day. Who has the time? Um... I just say RD. I just say <laughs> RD. <laughs> I, Val and I were just laughing about how some people say WW2 instead of World War II. It takes longer. World War II is faster than WW2. this. <laughs> I'm so good at podcasts that I like to make hand signals during podcasts. That's so stupid, Sarah. I don't think it's stupid. I, my favorite comedy records are Steve Martin's, which have all these physical bits that you don't know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say it was a stroke of genius, but you had those titles. Like that is true. You, you wrote a book that became like, you wrote two books. You have two great titles, how to be successful without hurting men's feelings, which for what it's worth, 
I, from my limited perspective, am conceding that that is just hilarious. Even as somebody that I'm like, I think I might be one of, I might be part of the problem. Oh, <laughs> you know? oh no. you're sweet. But it's still hilarious. So it's funny to, to everybody. And 100 tricks to look smart. What, what is that? 100? To appear smart in meetings. To appear yeah. smart in meetings. I and everybody that. always changes it to appear smarter in meetings because obviously you already appear smart. You want to look smarter. But no, the title is very specific. Appear <laughs> smart. Appear smart, not be smart, appear smart. <laughs> and that's what makes it a joke. Exactly. If you're appearing smarter, that's just that's just what a book is. Exactly. Every, every book is to appear smarter. Every book is to appear smarter. Every book, exactly. That is uh, the only way. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about the Enneagram, but I'm an achiever. I'm a, I'm a three. And uh, it doesn't matter. It sounds like Scientology. All you need to know is it's not Scientology. It's very, very, very old. But the way that education actually became interesting to me was when I realized what you're saying. A hundred. It's a trick. Read a book. It's a trick. It's like it's allowed thievery. You're allowed to quote a book and you'll look as smart as the person who put all these. You'll look as smart as Malcolm Gladwell just yeah. because you read it. Yeah, exactly. That's I mean, shoplifting. It's fun. It's perfect. I God, do you ever shoplift people's opinions and like and pass them off as your own because they're just such good opinions? Have you ever done that? I did that yesterday and I felt so bad, uh, but I never said anything about it. I love that you noticed it because I feel like 90% of what we call people's opinions is really just a tapestry of shit they stole. Like when you started going into comedy, did you... Um, notice that your friends were just doing, oh, you're doing Jim Carrey and you're doing Jim... Like, I went to a wedding and somebody was just doing Jim Gaffigan. They were doing that, like, mm -hmm. that's sad. That, and I was like, wait, you're just doing that because nobody, nobody cares about uh, being original. They just want to be funny. Yeah. Uh, some people care. But, like, it's the same with personalities and it's the same with intelligence. Most of us yeah. are just co-opting. What do, what do I, you do? Well, no, I, I remember being at an open mic and somebody was doing like reworded Seinfeld bits. And I was like, I, I how do you I, I never I could never like I know I know was, I mean, talking about soup. And I was like, you're doing Seinfeld soup bit like you like that's been around for decades. Like, I mean, it was crazy to me. Like, I don't. I'm, so, I mean, I think I, I like to do it if I can't get caught, um, but I still feel bad. What was the personality I thing? I'm curious. I bet I can relate. I bet I can relate. The personality what, thing? What was the thing that you realized you were just reflecting someone else's personality? Okay. You ever get called out on it, too? Sometimes I'll be like, fuck. You know what I did once? I think I said Lizzo. When Lizzo first came out, I just thought Lizzo was a funny, funny name. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It just sounded like a pop, yeah. like Kelly Clarkson. It was just like another name to say in yeah. place of like a the machine, the pop music machine churned out Lizzo. I didn't know that she's a flautist and a genius. I love Lizzo. Yeah. So I said Lizzo at a dinner with musicians oh, to be God. funny. And these musicians of mine who are he like heroes of mine, they were like, actually, Lizzo is wonderful. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, but I was mimicking other people that I see funny that are like, and they seem so 
right when they just mm-hmm. say things loudly. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, but then you get yeah. a follow up question and you're like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, so no, I mean, what was. It yeah. was like, uh, you know, this whole everything happening with with Trump and that he, him not leaving and all of the insurrection and all this stuff. And I said, but, you know, it's actually pretty on brand for him. You know, like I would hate it if he graciously exited, because then we would be like, oh, he pivoted. Like he actually became the thing that we've been waiting for. Right. So I'm glad in a way that he is sticking to the Trump brand during yes. this whole time. And that's 100 percent someone else's opinion. Someone told me that opinion and I yes. stole it and I love it. And I took it and I made it my own. I think I that's. Even... Oh, go ahead. No, I, I didn't, didn't even make it my own. It was like verbatim. Like, But isn't that what education is? That's what that's what I'm saying. The revelation. I think, but I think as comedians, like we are very like, um, I don't know. I have this pride about the words that I use and the opinions that I have and the thoughts that I have. And so if I sense anything that's like, well, if that, I didn't come from me, then I'm like, I, I'm a fraud. <laughs> like I'm immediately a fraud. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. But, but even as comedians, what are we but a, again, a tapestry of our experience, things we've read, things we've heard. That's why I think it's so important to like consume good stuff because it's going to get in there. Okay, but don't you think there is something innately unique about everybody? Even that, yes, I do. But I, I think that's that light, your pure light, and I'm not talking about soul. I'm just saying, like, the Sarah Cooper essence, the thing that is you that you're trying yeah. to mine as yeah. you're creating. Yeah. I don't think there's a way to to shine it perfectly onto a canvas. I think it's going to go through the filters of the things we've seen. Okay. That's why when I, I'd love to hear your thought on that, because when I'm writing a script, I'll watch Arrested Development oh, just yeah. to get good. Oh, my God, that's a genius joke. Just to like get that in my system. <laughs> and then I'll notice when I'm writing. It's the okay. same thing with West Wing. I'm watching West Wing and I'm writing a script and there's a lot more walk and talks because I'm like, it gives it this like yeah. zest. So mm-hmm. I'm sort I do of- the opposite. I, I, I watch bad stuff really, really bad stuff because I look to see the mistakes and then I'm like, I won't do that. (laughs) It's kind of a different thing. I love that. Do you really do that? Yeah. But I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the dialogue, you can just kind of tell, well, this, this line right here is just setting up this person to say this joke. And it's very obvious. There is no other reason for this line. It was a lot of that. And so it's just like, I never want that. I want every time someone says something, it's not just in service of someone else. It's actually coming from somewhere for that character. You know what I mean? I think that's great. I'm not even kidding. You should be in a leather chair because that's like something they would say in a master class. Well, you know. (laughs) Also, Sarah, I have to say this before I forget. Your Wikipedia page has these weird barbs against you. It's like you go to my Wikipedia page. I don't know who's editing your Wikipedia page, but nobody's going to my Wikipedia page to be like his book was not commercially successful. Like they like I guarantee our books sold similar or maybe even yours is better. I, mine was not like a huge explosion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but nobody went on to be like Here's the source. Uh, it wasn't very successful. And then for your special, Everything's Fine, which I I was just re-watching with Val. She was sitting over here. And I was literally, I'm hitting myself. It's so funny. Okay, now I'm going to cry. <laughs> Deal with it. Yeah. It's so funny. And, and I'll even throw in, not to throw shade on other projects, but I've seen other things that are trying to skewer what we're going through. 
And I, I just would, maybe they were great, but they weren't for me. That's all I'll say. They just weren't for mm-hmm. me. And when I watched yours, I was like, this is hilarious. And you are hilarious. And for some reason on your Wikipedia page, someone links to it like, Variety or was like, she's like the straight woman in her own special. And I was like, mm-hmm. I want to say something. I was the straight person in my TV show on Crashing. Yeah. And that's, that's what you do. You're the, you're the orchestrator. You're, but, but that's not even my point. That's what I would say in defense of myself on Crashing. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying to you is that's not true. You're so funny. You're so Thank funny. You. It's not a situation where you're just the ringleader I, I saw over and over and over again, like you're saying ab- about watching something bad, nothing you said was wasted. If there was an attitude to play or or even just a funny way to edit, I have to think you were involved in the editing. It was so, and she's nodding. It's a podcast. <laughs> Although it would have been weird for you to be like, yes, I was. Um, it was so deliberately hilarious and you're so decisively hilarious in it and i just so put put that on the wikipedia page oh my god link to that oh link it and i i yeah that negative review i I remember reading that too but it's just like i guess i don't know people are just i don't know why they're i I think i said the books weren't commercially successful maybe that's why they put that there but i don't know but i really appreciate it i really appreciate you saying all that the whole straight person thing i mean I, I'd How can they thing. say that when when it's cutting to you doing saying b- bags of soup and yeah. and your and your eyes and and the and the decision to have him say it twice? I know you're you're lip syncing Trump, yeah. But like you're doing, you're having him say it again, and you're with Connie Chung. I'm like, this is the the hero of the show getting the big laughs, and I know Fred's there, but. You know, Seinfeld got the same thing because because Kramer and George and Elaine. Learned, but like, yeah. fuck that shit. I'm rewatching Seinfeld because we're in dark times. Seinfeld, I'm not buttering his bread. He doesn't need me to butter his bread. He's fucking funny. Like, mm-hmm. it's so pedestrian and overdone to be like, but, but were they the funniest? But but if you watch early Seinfeld, like early Seinfeld, he what he didn't have a lot of good lines. Yeah. George had all the funny monologues and it was pretty clear that I feel like that's exactly what happened to me. Like on the special, I sort of I felt like I did kind of want to be the straight person. But at the same time, like I wanted to be funny, but I also wanted to like have other people be funny, too. And it's just a tough thing. It's a tough thing to figure out. I don't know. I just, I just wholeheartedly disagree. I really, I I sound like your manager right now, but (laughs) (laughs) it's just so honest. I, what I'm saying is I know what it's like to put together an ensemble and have other people shine, but that's not even what I'm saying is happening. I'm, I I do not accept the premise. I think you're so funny in it. Thank you. I mean, it's, it was hard. It was like a, I, I, I was saying this the other day, like just the fact that it happened was, I mean, just the fact that I made it, just the fact that I made it with people that I I had never met before. Like I never met Natasha Leone before. And all of a sudden I was working with her. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a whirlwind and to even make something with people that you love is hard. Like artistically it's, it's difficult. So like to do that, I mean, I just can't even believe it got made to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. And what about Fred and Maya and Helen Mirren? I I mean, I couldn't be more interested from my cursory understanding of your career and I'd love to go through the story beat by beat but like in 2019 you almost uh, hung up stand up again I know this is going to be 
overly yeah. simplified, but like yeah. things things weren't clicking. Yeah. Then you found uh, they're going to link to that on the Wikipedia. <laughs> things weren't clicking for Sarah Cooper. And <laughs> They're going to cherry pick after that huge snow job. They're going to be like, he said she wasn't clicking. But but everybody relates. I remember talking to Rob Delaney and he, and he was having the same moment where he was like, I just can't break through. Stand up is such a weird yeah. beast. Yeah. And all I said was, Some, you'll find your lane. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, it wasn't even like a big like swirling moment but it, oh my god like, can i kiss your ass i mean this is not going well but can i kiss your ass for a second why isn't um, it going well <laughs> because i keep i feel like i keep interrupting you and i'm sorry welcome to the show <laughs> I, just, I just remembered something that i wanted to tell you which was that when i first moved to new york i was um very very briefly dating baron vaughn very briefly before he like moved to la and he took mm. me to my first show in new york and it was you, and you did your um, museum bit. And oh, my God. It, I remember it to this day. It was, like, 10 years ago. And I just was like, oh, my God. Like, that's the – like, I just – it was – I was dying <laughs> laughing. I couldn't breathe. I was laughing so hard. And I've I was I've been your fan that long. So just, I, I want to make sure to say that. I am so touched. I love that. I don't I, – I, if you ever want to interrupt with something like that, that was one of the – I, I'm going to remember what I was saying. We were talking about Rob and we were talking about you're about okay, to find yeah. your lane. But that was the first joke, I think, where I was like, it felt like me. You know what I mean? I was like, wait, I don't like the museum, but I want people to think I like the museum. Yes. And it actually, it's hard to think back to that time, but it it felt like an act of courage to admit that. Like now I know comedy is all about like, if there's something you're embarrassed by, like you should talk about that. Right, but right. back then it was, it was more like soup jokes, like Seinfeld stuff. But it's I like another level. And I feel like that's where comedy is sort of going is you have to dig deeper and deeper and deeper to get to like where we're heading. And like what you were doing then was like a deeper level than what most people were doing. I really, to, really to observe that. yourself and be like, wait, no, I want people to think I like this thing. <laughs> I don't like it. But I'm going to, you know what I mean? I want people to think this of me. And so I'm going to do these things to make them think this thing, to make them think I love this thing that I hate. Yes. Like, I mean, it's yes. just my, human beings are fucking ridiculous. What's well, a hundred tri- tricks to look smart exactly. in meetings? That's what it is. Exactly. It's like, go to the museum and leave the pin on. That's part of the bit. I didn't always do it, but it was like, I would forget to take the, the Met pit pin off of my bag Mm -hmm. hoping I'd get caught it's like when you hope someone catches you taking out their garbage for them like you really hope right Right. exactly um but the I really appreciate that the Rob one last thing about the museum bit that's the only joke I think I've ever done that I went to the museum to write material you know those oh, days in New York, yeah. it's the early career, you don't have anything that day. So you're just mm-hmm. like, or that week, and you just, you're like, I think I'll just go with a notebook and try to write about the museum. And it, it actually worked. It's the only, you'd, you'd think I'd do it more. I should yeah. do it. I should, should do that. We should all do it, but we don't. And now we can't. So great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So what I, Rob ended up finding his lane, which was Twitter. For some reason, he's like a Twitter genius, and he explodes on Twitter. and And we talked about that when he did this podcast. And for you, it, it was it was the videos. It was, uh, forgive me, but it was Instagram and TikTok, both. And Twitter, yeah. And, and Twitter, and yeah. posting that stuff. I forget how or why I took us here. Do you remember? 
to do with me finding something, my lane, my yeah, we, success? We can just, we can just talk about that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm interested in that moment of like, if you could tell me what, if that's true, what wasn't clicking. Mm-hmm. I just love oh, those. Yeah. If we're making the Sarah Cooper movie, I mean like a Lifetime movie, we yeah. need the scene where you're Why in the is kitchen. It a Lifetime I just mean let's let's give ourselves you oh. so funny let's give ourselves permission to be corny you know what I mean okay. like it it yeah. doesn't have to be good your your parents it seemed tell me if any of this is true they wanted you to have a backup you you were in the tech yeah. world um you're you're in comedy it's oversaturated everything that it still is and then you ha- tell me about discovering this other way to do it which if I'm not mistaken, later you kind of were like, well, this is what I was always looking for. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I just was home for, because of the pandemic. And I, I look back and I'm so, there's some reasons why I feel like the pandemic was kind of a good thing. This giant pause, this giant, like stop everything and just think really, think really hard about what it is you want to be doing with every hour of your life. And I feel like that's what happened for me with the pandemic. And um, I was going to these, I was hosting open mics. I was going to open mics. I was, um, I felt like I was kind of getting somewhere. I really, you know, I, I felt like I was kind of getting somewhere with what I wanted to talk about and, and still struggling with sort of like being myself. I've always had this, Oh, I just want to get on stage. I just want to be myself. You know, I just want to like talk in my own voice and like really feel like I'm friends with everybody. Like I'm really sharing secrets and all this, you know, I really wanted to work on that and it just wasn't happening. Uh, I mean, not, yeah. I mean, it just wasn't going that well. And I think a lot of it was the time of sitting there for an hour, getting your five minutes, sitting back down, waiting for the next one. Like it was just a lot of waiting. I this met a lot of great people, but. This is what you were trying to achieve at open mics? Yeah. I mean, I was trying to just get my five minutes together because I really wanted to do a late night set. And I told myself at the end of 2020, if I didn't have my late night set, then I was going to go back to Google because mm. this just wasn't working. Um, I just want to, in, in your defense, be like open mics. I don't want to discourage people from doing open mics because I think you you should. Um, but like, especially, I don't know if it's especially in New York, but the open mics in Chicago were just better. They were almost like shows. Then I mm-hmm. got to New York and it was just performing for other comedians waiting to go on. Yeah. So I'm going to say your goal was unachievable. <laughs> like if you, if you wanted to be like alive yeah. and, and just like yeah. become a vessel of energy circling it right. back and forth, it's not going to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just because I don't think there's a more difficult place than a New York open mic. I think I just had this, I think a lot of people do still have this like model in their head and maybe it actually worked for you, but it, you know, this idea that someone's going to kind of like spot you and, you know, you're going to be able to do a show and then you're going to get seen by someone and then you're going to get your late night set and then you're going to get your TV show. And it's going to be like this step-by-step process. And I think I just thought I was, I had to keep, you know, like burning the midnight oil, doing that, burning the midnight oil. That's not, Pounding the pavement. I think I meant to say that. Um, I love it. You're such a writer. <laughs> You're such a writer. That is well, so this funny. This is a lifetime movie, so <laughs> we could have. I could have said it's a lifetime movie, so we can get away with burning the midnight oil. I think that's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's very Hanukkah. I like it. It is, <laughs> and 
Um, so yeah, so then I was like, what am I doing? And then I think I got, you know, we were like locked down and I was like, I'm wasting a lot of time. I felt like I was just like, you know, I'm wasting a lot of time. I could be making things online. I know how I've gone viral before. I know kind of like what kind of works I can play around. I can experiment. And also like, it was so low stakes, you know, there was nothing going on. So just, I just kind of started throwing things out there and then like TikTok, everybody was on TikTok. So I was like, I guess I got to be on TikTok, even though I'm way too old for TikTok and, you know, tried a bunch of things until I found this lip syncing Trump thing and people just loved it. Yeah. You know, what's funny is Madeline Wise who played, um, uh, I almost said Pete's girlfriend. We always talked about my character in third person. I loved her. By Isn't the she the best? She's the best. I just looked her up the other day because I was like, what's her name? I remember her and I just remember loving her. Yeah. She was great. I, it was so cool. You when had to we, do some fun sex scenes with her, huh? I, You know, it's funny that you say that. I always maybe would have thought that stuff like that was fun. It was always about getting over the awkwardness, not because yeah. it was Madeline. But they didn't look awkward at all. I mean, I feel like you oh, guys really nailed it. <laughs> they, you know... That that sex scene was particularly graphic because part meaning intentionally graphic mm-hmm. or intimate, I guess we could say, because that was what we were trying to show was this was the yeah. first time a religious person was with a sexually free person, oh, like yeah. like a like kind of a wild. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. want to say wild. That sounds judgmental, but but free, like a, but a free, sexual yeah. person. Not repressed at all. Yeah, not repressed. So he's yeah. like completely yeah. blown I, away. Yeah, awesome. And what and when we <laughs> good to have good to have a really specific artistic need for graphic sex. I like <laughs> Well it was. <laughs> and and Gillian, who directed it, I wonder I don't know if we ended up doing this, but Gillian Robespierre, who I, I absolutely adore, she had this idea in the movie Don't Look Now. Have you ever seen Don't Look Now? Oh, it's a really oh wait. Well, who does who's it? It's Donald Sutherland. It's like a 70s no. horror movie. No, I never saw it. They do this thing where they're intercutting between like the couple's morning routine and this ve- like very graphic uh, or again, I'll say intimate sex scene. And she wanted to do that. I can't remember if we ended up doing it, but we talked about this sex scene. And then Rodney, the DP, it was a closed set and it was just him and a camera. It was Gillian, him and us and a sound person. So mm. it wasn't like the, you know... Mm-hmm. Every time I had to like masturbate on that show, it was so embarrassing because there were thirty people in the room. <laughs> but Why would this... you write stuff? Like, I mean, it's it's really it's really brave. I appreciate that. It's because of what we were saying earlier. If it's embarrassing, yeah, yeah. We, should, we should put it in. Like embarrassing, masturbating to the sound of someone having yeah. sex through the wall is really embarrassing. So we're like, we should put it in. But um, and it's a testament to Judd that he that he agreed. Um, but anyway, what was I saying? Sex scene. Oh, Madeline. Here's how we found Madeline. She, it wasn't even, I don't know if it was on Twitter or YouTube, but they're very hard to find. But her casting agent had all these videos of her doing Trump, but dramatically, not a lip sync. She would yeah. do the. I've seen them, yeah. You've seen them. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's pretty much. Tr- Judd loved, I, I loved Madeline for a million reasons. I think Judd fell in love with that because he was so, um, even more than the average person, really hooked into like, we got to call attention to the, the buffoonery. Yeah. And when he saw them, he absolutely died. So mm-hmm. so you're kind of in this good company of like figuring out, wait, the best fodder is just reality right now. Like it, yeah. 
it doesn't need to be like remember they did the Johnny Depp playing uh Trump thing at some mm-hmm. point. I don't think it really made a splash and I think it, it's because it's hard to parody something that already feels like a parody, you know. Exactly. It, yeah. So that's 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 take me into that moment. You started doing them yeah, no, I mean, I just I, I was watching him at the podium and he was just like bullshitting his bullshitting his way through press conferences. And it was just like mind boggling to me that someone was allowed to bullshit their way through a, a pandemic response. You know what I mean? And people <laughs> nodding and shaking his hand and, you know, like people calling him sir. And just it was just so frustrating. And I and it was, uh, I was jealous. I was like, I want to get away. I want to get away with bull. I could never talk my way into first class. I'm not a talk my way into first class person. And I've always wanted to be like, I've always yeah. wanted to be the person that could just get, <laughs> oh yeah, you got it for $10. I got it for two or, you know, right. they gave it to me and like, I, they paid me to take it from them. You know, like <laughs> I've never, never been a good negotiator, never been a good talk, any of that. And so I, I was like, I want to embody that, you know? And, and so I wanted to be like the guy just like, yeah, you know, we'll just, why don't you just put Lysol into your veins? How does that right. sound? That sounds good. Right. Literally. He looks at someone else in the room. Like you're going to test that. Right. <laughs> like, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, who, like what, like, I mean, to have such a terrible idea, but then think it's brilliant enough to look at a scientist and say, you're going to, I mean, I just had to, I just had to like bring that to life because I I wish I could get away with it. I think that's so, it's not surprising, but it sort of is surprising. But like what I'm hearing is this, this, I, I expected wanting to parody it and wanting to ridicule it. But you've done the extra work of going like, if I'm really honest with myself, it's that I wish I had that Vince Vaughn energy of yeah. like, let me tell you, those seats aren't going to sell. What are you going to, you're going to have the pilot's puppy sit on that seat. You're going to give me that yeah. seat. And like, we yeah. sort of, it's sort of, I call it drunk dad energy. And it has, there's something sort of uh, env- enviable about it. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of happy that you, I don't think you could parody it as well if you didn't go like, I think I sort of understand why people are like, remember when he was like, they say the ozone layer, uh, don't use hairspray, don't use hairspray. Uh, I shoot it right up at the sky. I was like, this is just drunk dad freestyle. Right. And if we're really quiet, we can find scared kid in us that goes, Mm -hmm. dad? Like we kind of... (laughs) He could talk us to the front of the line at yeah. Space Mountain by lying mm-hmm. that I have leukemia. That mm-hmm. is horrible, embarrassing. Uh, it's a, a disgrace. And as a kid, you're sort of like, my dad got me into Space Mountain. So you're really, yeah. you. I feel like you're seeing every angle. Exactly. And it, it's it's interesting because, you know, Alec Baldwin, you know, didn't like playing him because he hates him. And I think it's because they're, kind of similar, you know, well, they have this, you know, sometimes you hate someone so much because you see yourself in them, you know, and that's, 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 I don't think it's possible to hate unless you go, fuck that guy. Cause he, Sarah, I'll admit he represents me calling you snooper. You know what I'm saying? Like that sort of just go in there and, and just pitch a show, like base it, do, do like a usual suspects and base it on their tie color and the coffee cup and just swing your dick around. Like, of course, when what I hate about Trump is informed by what I hate about myself. Yeah. But Absolutely. at the same time, like I, 
feel like I was able to enjoy embodying him in a way that Alec couldn't Mm. because I don't do those things. And I couldn't bring myself to do those things as much as I wish I could. I could never, I, I'm a terrible liar. I don't have a poker face. Like I, (laughs) there's so many things that he is just able to get away with. Um, And and I think that's, part of the reason I was like able to like have fun with it. That's why it was kind of fun for me. You know, I totally, totally agree. I would love a heart monitor on him. I feel the same way sometimes on like, uh, mystics and stuff, people sitting on cushions, like it would be really interesting to get scientific with it and be like, did your heart rate elevate? Like did Trump's heart rate elevate when he started bullshitting to that degree he does have a poker face he's not showing it at all right right but i wonder if his body like was his butt sweating when he started Mm -hmm. being like maybe we could put sunlight in your lungs i don't know because (laughs) he's nailing the character but is his biology betraying him in any way like a stand-up who (laughs) i don't think so either so I really, and that's what's amazing about it. I have so much imposter syndrome. I question everything I say constantly and to say something so stupid and to think it's brilliant is a superpower. Like to, to have, and to have the no shame to repeat yourself over and over again, repeat yourself for months, years, repeat yourself, say the same thing over and over again. I feel like, I can't, should I do the same set? I did I did this set like five right. weeks ago. Should I do it again? Like, oh no, people are, I'm nobody. And like, he he doesn't care. It's just, you got to admire some of this stuff. You know what I mean? I, I, I didn't expect to have this conversation, but I love that we are. I've said, uh, there's two things I want to tell you about Trump because I'd love to hear your thoughts. One is what we're saying right now is when I was trying to have compassion uh, and that's gotten more and more difficult, but we're still trying. Um, I was like, he is the dad that pulls you out of school to take you to Disneyland, right? Mm. With with lies. Like, mm-hmm. but really, it's because he needs to flee somewhere. <laughs> like, he's, he's right. being chased by a loan shark. Um, but the kid doesn't know that. He just thinks you were the cool dad. The mom is usually the role that's like, he was drunk when he picked you up. He was hiding from Vinny the squid who was going to break his legs. So he wanted to go to Disneyland. But the kid, sometimes I see uh, some of his followers, or, or I imagine maybe some of his followers are like the kid that's like, yeah, but that day at Disneyland was amazing. Yeah. And they don't see that it. he doesn't care. Like even yeah. the cat. He's like, I'll see you at the Capitol. I was like, look, guys, he didn't go to your Little League game. This yeah. isn't this isn't the, your dad. He's not a good dad, even when you're like, let's go. It's such a good point because I, I, I got some Trump supporters saying that they liked my videos and they thought they were funny, even though they love Trump. Mm. And my husband said um, something I thought was really insightful, which was basically like it's like a Pixar film in that you can enjoy it on multiple levels. There's a satire and there's a little bit of a like, I don't know, intellectual thing that's happening that's that I, I was kind of going for. But then there's just like a silliness and a bizarreness and a like oh, a slapstick falling on a banana peel kind of thing that yeah. you can laugh at as well. And it's that childlike, <laughs> maybe it's just that childlike mentality um, that they just needed that father. I mean, that, I feel like that's what it is because a lot of them even referred to him that way, you know, as a dad. Yeah. As their, yeah. As the person that was just going to protect them and lead them. And, and I don't do all this stuff for them and, and, and make these promises that I ah, just, yeah. I mean, it's dad one oh one to be like, 
nobody's getting in this house. And that's what build the wall was. It's like, I'm going right. to build walls. Yeah. I'm going to protect you. I'm scary. And, and I remember at the beginning of his presidency, I was, I, I was like, or watching the debates, I was sort of like, he does seem like the guy, he's the embodiment of my dad can beat up your dad. He's mm-hmm. the dad you sort of say that about. Whether or not he's going to show up to that fight or not doesn't really matter because you can be on the schoolyard saying my dad can beat up your dad. Where is your dad? He might be in yeah. Tijuana doing lines. You don't know, but like you still get the bragging rights. And I thought that right. was you know what's interesting though, because he, you know, like my my book, like appearing smart, like there's not not a single one of those tricks says just tell everyone you're smart. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't. I wouldn't say trick number one: go into a room and say I'm smarter than everyone in here. I'm smarter than the generals. I'm smarter than the doctors. I could have gone to med school. Like no, right. but he, that is what he does. Right. So that's the thing that I don't understand because what does that mean that he, he thinks that's the way to look smart is just to say, I'm smart. It feels like real estate logic. It's like you have a building. Yeah. It's not done that you just found out it's not to code, but the businessman, and it is sort of a disease of the corporate culture is to be like, it's a beautiful building. It's a great yeah. building. It's up to yeah. code. And that's how you close the deal. And if you're lucky, or I don't know what the word is, the building will be done by the time it closes and the, and, and the code, like he's like the beneficiary of all these other smart people trying to get it up to code. And then mm-hmm. you're the mouthpiece that's like, I told you it would be up to code. It's up to code. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Right. And if I'm being honest, I would see my dad doing stuff like that. This is why I'm like, the president is the dad of the country. And I think that's a big part of why we had a problem having a mom of the country. Well, yeah, she was the mom saying, hey, he's lying to you. Exactly. And we want the dad. And I thought a lot of the country was saying, this is what my dad looks like. My dad does not look like Joe Biden. My dad does not look like Barack Obama. They're not poised. They're the guys that go like, I can beat you up. My son is right. I can beat you up. I will not be doing that now as he's backing into a helicopter. (laughs) He's a really really tough dad. I'm not going to prove it now. Believe me, it would embarrass you. But like... There, like you or I, I think would be like, if I said to a doctor, I could go to med school or I'm so right. humble, you can't even imagine how humble I am. Yeah. It's sort of, maybe it's the artist in, in us, meaning the artist temperament that like, I'm afraid of being embarrassed. So yeah. I'm afraid of yeah. commenting on an Instagram photo because I might've interpreted it wrong. That's true. And he's just like, like there was a photo Emily Gordon posted of her and I thought it looked so much like Maggie Gyllenhaal. I knew it was her, but part of me was like, is that Maggie Gyllenhaal? So I didn't comment. But Trump would be like, there's Maggie Gyllenhaal. She looks fantastic. And it would be like, that's me. It'd be like, I know I'm saying you look like Maggie Gyllenhaal. I don't even know. It'd be like, actually it is Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> like, I don't know what he would do. He doesn't have any fear and that is, or shame. And that is an energy that seems to bulldoze through a lot of polity, like people mm-hmm. being like, could you, could you please wear a mask? Like there's this thing on the West Wing where they when they skewer Democrats, it's always that the Democrats have these good values or whatever, but they're too timid to like speak up yeah. for themselves. And they're always on the defensive. They yeah. never go like, let's move, let's charge forward. And Trump was just like a pipeline, just yeah. like a 
evasive, which is another way of just saying like a, a phallus, just like yeah. pushing its way through right. mountains and saying, <laughs> right. like, I don't care. By the time you catch up with me, I'll be over there. Oh, yeah. And that is what you picked up on. Yeah. I think that's why the impressions are so funny. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's also like, you know, if I tried to do exactly what he did, I feel like people would be like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so, I mean, that was the other thing that was just, I don't know. Ugh, so frustrating. Being a woman, <laughs> being a woman, Pete, it's just, it's really, you know, it's tough. I mean, it, I'm glad to see it being more of the conversation. It's such a shame that it takes that all hurt. these. It's fine. It's, these... I'm not complaining. <laughs> but you know what? Are you kidding me? Let's complain. What, when when we see the what happened at the Capitol and then when we, any knucklehead would be if those people were black. Yeah. Uh, forget it. And we're starting to see some of that exposing of privilege, like discerning between power and just like inherited, completely meritless, something you benefit from for yeah. no reason whatsoever. Yeah. But you know what's weird though is because I feel like on the inside – and I'm probably going to get canceled for saying this, but I feel like on the inside, I feel like I am a white guy. <laughs> you're a white man. I And I feel like, like what you were saying, like you're a product of everything. Like all these open mics were just all white guys. And so I was basically judging every, all of my material based on what they were laughing at. Well, we're back to what we were saying is like, who, what is your personality? I think it's always right. a good thing to not take it too personally. Yeah. Because you see... I know I've mentioned this a million times, but Val was panicked, worried that she was going to go to a mental institution. And I was like, are you sure you're not basing that on seeing the preview for Girl Interrupted? And she started laughing so hard because so much of what I think is me is just based on what has been poured into me and what was reinforced when I pretended to be that way. Yeah. So... I'm just seeing, of course, if you're going to open mics and it's a a white male dominated thing and you're succeeding there, you have that great joke that when your parents named you Sarah, your your Jamaican descent, um, that a a white woman named Sarah just gentrified your body. Yeah. Well, we're all sort of, none of this is me. None of this is really me. Like, this is an impression. it's It's also how people treat you. Because like, if your name is Sarah, they will treat you differently than if your name is is hard to pronounce or or just, you know, a different name that maybe someone hasn't heard. It's such a common name. It's such a common white girl name that I feel like you, you get treated differently because of that. So there's That's all right. these little things that you didn't choose yourself that make up how people talk to you. And know. you went around thinking I'm a Sarah. I, I, cu- I couldn't agree with you more. My name is Peter. I dropped the R because who has the time? But like, Peter. that's that's because I was like, Pete sounds like you just opened a can of Sprite. It's like Pete. It's Pete. like it's like it's yeah. like a fun or yeah. like a or like a Roman candle just shot off. Pete. It's like <laughs> a fun sound, and I wanted people to see me that way. So that was like the first agency I felt as a child. And I, I'm thinking of a woman I knew named Kishwanda, who was a lovely mm-hmm. person. I worked with her at Bennigan's in Chicago. And if your name was Kishwanda, I'm sure people would be like, you mean Kishwanda Cooper, the black mm-hmm. woman? Like it would mm-hmm. be, it's, it's a, it's a, an avalanche pouring in on itself. <laughs> like yeah. would be like, meaning it, it reinforces a story, yeah. I suppose. And, yeah, you, exactly. and you got the Sarah story. 
I got the Sarah, yeah, I got the Sarah story, except, you know, I, you know, someone made a joke about me that I'm the only black girl that looks like a Sarah. Cause I actually, they're not a lot of, they're very few black women named Sarah. Very few. That's I think there's maybe one or two in history. Really? I, I mean, I'm sure you mean notable, like notable, like people that, or no, just, just every, all. all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I did the research. Oh my God. I would, if there was a way to go on Facebook and type in Sarah and then they had checkboxes race, <laughs> we, could, we, could, we could fact check that. But that's really, really interesting. Um, so you, you're, we're telling the story. We were doing stand-up. You want to get your five minutes for late night. You're, you're being informed. You're osmosising white maleness. And, and also, I would even say above that, stand-up comicness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, which feels whatever I, I i won't say what it feels like but it, it's like a way of discerning and yeah. labeling and talking about the world so that's a powerful force as well and then in the quarantine you start doing something that is not contingent on an audience and has the added benefit of being a direct way of addressing what we were sort of suffering through as as a world and it started to feel good like the you didn't feel a a, a call to go back to stand up, or you didn't feel like this isn't real show business. It felt good. Yeah, I mean, it felt good. It felt fun. I mean, I was going viral. I got an agent. I mean, it changed my life. I mean, it really like made everything take off. Like all the the books, which were not commercially successful, all of a sudden, you know, stop saying were... that. Stop <laughs> saying that. Now the Wikipedia has two footnotes. They were not yet commercially successful, not, but it helped. Exactly, and then yeah. I, you know. Be, you know, being able to like turn them into TV shows, which is what I've been trying to do since I wrote them. Like I, I really wanted to get into entertainment. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it all like, it all came together and I feel like you're a really good interviewer. This is another tangent, but I, I, you're really good at this. I, I really appreciate that. Take that all the people that will say, stop interrupting. <laughs> you, know, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you was like, you've done everything. And I wanted to know, like, what do you like the most? Cause like, you've really done everything. That's a really, I mean, I, I, I really... that, that's where I am right now. All of this stuff, just to loop it back for the audience, like all of this stuff has given me a lot of opportunities. And so now I can actually say, Hey, what, what exactly do I want to do? I have a lot of thoughts to say, I have a lot of ideas, like, how do I want to spend my time? And there's a big difference between like, oh, I would love to see my face on the, you know, on a poster, like for a movie or whatever, than actually doing that movie and like yeah. going on set every day for six months. Like there's, those two things are very different. So like, I'm trying to figure out now, like, what is it that I want to do? And I, I, I would love to know, like you, how, how have you been able to try every single thing? And like, what, what did you like? What do you like? You know? I love this question. I mean, if you talk, if Val were here, she would laugh because I'm constantly, maybe even overly taking my temperature and trying to get the, the levels just right on what, what really juices me. What comes to mind is now that I'm, I'm 41 and I'm realizing the things that really make me feel like I'm living the life I should be isn't glory and fame and money. I know this sounds like I'm lying to you. I really mean this. Yeah. It's it's making something that you go, that was honest 
and that helped people. So when I when I was making crashing, I would always try to stay in touch with the people that I would run into at the grocery store, people that were in bands or people that were trying to do comedy or sometimes their moms and they would be like we watched that show together. It's helped me understand my son. It's mm-hmm. helped me understand how hard it is. And I was like, fuck that. That's the shit. That's like deathbed shit. That's like yeah. you're leaving the earth and you go, I'm glad. Yeah. I, I know it was also just a fun comedy, but you're like, that mattered to me. So then I started realizing I love writing. I love creating stuff. I don't know how important it is that I'm in every scene, which is really what I sort of, I don't want to say got out of my system, but like I really wanted to do the I'm in every scene show. And now the priority is like, I want to make really funny, good stuff that just one gossamer thin layer behind it, I'm saying something. I'm saying something Mm -hmm. that I feel like matters. Mm -hmm. So does that answer anything? Mm, I mean, I I can get more specific. (laughs) I mean, I feel like I I just feel very similar to you. Like I love writing and I also feel like, you know, I would like to be in it, but I, it's more important to me that it gets made, you know, and it's more important to me that I get it out there and I'm able to like produce things than it is the, to have like the, the glory of it all. So yeah, I think maybe that's just a, I'm with, I'm with you. I'm with you on that too. I, something I say to my agents all the time is um, they, they make fun of me. This is very self-serving to say this, but they'll be pushing for more money or something. And I'm like, just get the pilot made. We'll mm-hmm. rene- we'll renegotiate. Like that's mm-hmm. let's just get it made. Let's not have this get hiccuped because we wanted a payday uh at this stage. Like let yeah. let's get it made. But that's a really good sign that you believe in and actually want to make what you want to make. Yes. If you just that's- wanted to Go ahead. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people just make things that they don't even actually care about that much. And I really don't want to do that. I've realized that, <laughs> you know. Because they can. I yeah. say that all the time. Don't just do something because you can. Mm-hmm. And you're at that point. You, you know, you can do a lot of things and you have to ask yourself, well, what do I really want to do? But the really sweet spot, and I think you could do this. If you, it's, I saw that you're making, you're developing, which which book is it for CBS? Um, it's how to be successful for CBS. Yeah. How to be successful without hurting men's feelings. <laughs> is that, is that what it's going to be called? I'm not sure yet. Not sure. I mean, I, I think it's a great, uh, title for, for a, a free consult. Not that I charge for consult, <laughs> but like my, my, just a consult. Yeah. yeah, just a consult. <laughs> I think it's a great title. Um, cause you know, I, I do the, the bumper test. You go like on a new, how to be successful. That's what we'll call it. But the full title is how to be successful without hurting men's feelings. It makes me want to watch it. And it's interesting. I mean, I wonder how close I am. It's, it's a woman in a corporate environment that realizes these, these things you figured out and we watch her go from the mailroom up the ranks in this, in this world. No, no, I love it. No, what is it? Can you tell me? <laughs> oh yeah, I can tell you. I mean, it's it's basically Sex in the City meets The Office. So it's it's three women who are like different generations. Because that's the one thing I've noticed is that like um, the twenty five year old feminist is very different than like the thirty five year old like 
who thinks she's a feminist, but maybe is not as much, but, and then very different from like the 50 year old woman who's kind of seen it all. And like, you know, has kind of a different perspective, the sort of like lean in, you know, feminist. So it's, it's kind of like exploring that because I feel like, you know, when you're dealing with sexism, everybody's like, this is how you're supposed to deal with it. But it's just like in the moment, you just don't know. And everybody deals with it different ways. Like if you get robbed, some people are going to fight pack and some people are going to run and some people are going to like, I don't know, like, I don't know, quote, quote a movie. I don't know what they're going to do, but, um, you know, and, and so it's, I just like the idea. That's the coolest thing about this is being able to like create characters and be like, this is how this character dealt with it. And now you at home can talk about how you deal with it. And maybe if it happens to you, it's something that you'll be prepared for, you know? So it's, mm. it's more about that exploring the perspectives. I love that. Yeah. What is the office part? They all work together. Yeah, they all work together in a male-dominated office. Yeah. Okay, so I was right about that. <laughs> right, but the mailroom thing is how to succeed in business without really trying. That's that's what you were quoting, right? Is that a thing? Have you seen that musical, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying? No. I just watched it the other day, which is crazy that I haven't seen it yet. But yeah, have that you seen be- Mad? Have you seen Mad Men? Uh, I've watched <laughs> Mad Men so many times; it's literally embarrassing. I am about to blow your mind right now. Hit it. Is this, okay. is this insider ham? Oh, no, it's not ham. It's something else. <laughs> okay. But I can't believe I didn't know this, but How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying is based on a book. It was a musical and um, it stars a, a young man who starts out washing windows, goes to the mailroom. By the end of the week, he's chairman of the board. Mm. And then this is in the 60s. So this is like a really fun, campy sort of musical. Um, the, the guy who's the head of the company in Mad Men, same guy. Wait, they're saying, uh, Burt Cooper. Burt Cooper is the guy played by the same, no, 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 played by the same character who played that guy who is now the head of the company still in the sixties. And when he died, and when he died, there was a musical number. (sighs) And it's from that play musical it's not from that play, but they did that as an homage to his musical theater career. Mind blown. So that same actor who mm-hmm. sounds like he did the voiceover for the Cadbury cream eggs, but I don't think he did. <laughs> now I have to look up what his name that- is because I feel like a freaking idiot. <laughs> oh my God. That is amazing. So you're right. I, I, I love, I love what, uh, this idea. I think it's fantastic. I think I want a little Robert Morris. I thought that was his name, but Robert Morris. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and what I do want to encourage you uh, in saying that when I, when it came to traveling around, and this is something that the pandemic showed me too, the thrill of like, like the, the action of your keyboard and, and talking to yourself and getting the dialogue just right and even getting notes and applying them and making it better and applying the note and the note makes you think of a note you give yourself. Like they give you a note, but then you note yourself yeah. and you change something they didn't ask you to change. But yeah. you're you're caring more about the project than anyone yeah. possibly could because you really care. Starts with having something that you really care about. So I stand by that. But I was surprised that the the adrenaline and the thrill of being alone, stand-up is like um, shooting that into your body like a syringe. I, I, I'm not, I, I don't mean to um, glorify drug, syringe drugs. I'm just saying, like, it, it's, it's all at once. It's a shot of espresso. 
It's I, and it hits you, and you're like, I'm I'm invincible. And some of my favorite moments in life are driving home from the comedy store, blasting music I never listened to because, like you, suddenly I feel invincible, unembarrassable. Like like it's this superhuman drug. So of course I want to listen to like aggressive hip hop. Uh, <laughs> but then like writing is the same drug or the same espresso. But it's on one of those drips. It's an IV drip. So you're getting it uh, time yeah. released. But it was a real revelation to realize it was the same thing. Oh, and, and same with making a TV show. You have to like really work it, um, staying grateful, staying present. Um, I had to actively remind myself, this is your dream come true. Because when you're doing it, it's, it's, it's like playing yes and no for 14 hours a day. Every day, like constantly mm-hmm. doing yes and no. And there's not a lot of room for like joy when all you're doing is judging things like yeah. this outfit, not that so outfit, true. this scene, not that scene. I mean, you did. You must have felt that when you were taping your thing. It's it's hard. Uh, maybe. No, I didn't have the 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 um the self-reflection that I think that you have because you've done so many different kinds of projects. It was my first project. It was in the pandemic. I was working with people like Maya Rudolph, who is like my hero. Mm. And it was just like. I had no, I had literally no idea what I was doing. I was also trying to determine like, what is my taste? You know, cause like, I feel like I hadn't really figured that out yet with, within this medium. I didn't know exactly like what, what did I, what was the tone I was going for? Mm. And so I had a writer's room for like three weeks. Then at the end of the three weeks, I was like, this isn't what I, this, this isn't, this isn't what makes me laugh. I, I realized that. I love this. Tell me everything. And then I had, and then that was like a big mess. And so then I was like, we hired like a punch up room, which is basically just a writer's room number two, yeah. which was like trying to hone in on exactly like what I really judged in my heart was like, this is what's funny. This is what makes me laugh. Um, which is, you know, it was a tough process. And then to do that under the gun, it was just, it was really difficult. And so I don't, I, 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 looking back, I think I know now, Oh, like that was seven, eight days of shooting. Like, could I do that for 30 days? Could I do that for six months a year? Like I'm starting to understand that now, but I didn't, at the time it was just like, go, 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 you know? Well, it's funny. Something Mulaney told me about Mulaney. I, I did a bit part in Mulaney and he said something about, like you really need to make sure you have your Larry David. And he had his Larry Davids. They, they might've been mer- many people, but like he was advising me about to be making my show. And he was like, I think, and I haven't yet figured this out, but like Judah Miller and Orrin Brimmer and, and, and these great, I don't want to say number twos, but you know, these yeah. other guys, um, it's Mad Men all over again. You need your support system. Like John Hamm can be drinking and taking naps, but right. you need the people that are like also making sure the show gets done. Yeah. And that was never more true than on, on my talk show when I would, because I was all about self-care and I was like, it's my job to be in a good mood. Um, so I would go home before the show was even edited. So I had to like be like, you guys do that. I can't, I, I'm, I'm drawing a boundary here. And that was the right move. Yeah. When I watch my, I don't, but if I were to watch my old monologues, every joke hinges on the fact that I'm enjoying it. So if I'm like grinding it out, like constantly. So that's where Oren came in. And then later um, on Crashing, Oren and Judah. So finding the team is super important. But I really mm-hmm. want to slow down what you said, because one of the most interesting things for me right now is I'm like, 
is a writer's room, I know it can be great, but is it the best way? Because let, let me start with this. Yeah. Right now we're in a pandemic and I'm writing a show. And what I get to do when I'm writing a show and I don't have a room and I don't have anywhere to report to is I see how creativity works for me is mm -hmm. I'll wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and write down something yep. that I, ends up being pure gold for me. It's one of my favorite things in the world. Or here, more notably, I'll take three, four days off doing nothing. Yeah. And enjoying my family, watching movies, whatever it is, just completely dicking around. And then at the end of the fourth day, a complete, I'll be rocking Lee, because that's when Alila, my daughter, yeah. I'll be rocking her in the dark, and I have to sit in the dark for an hour. And every time I do that, Sarah, I leave with 10 things that I have to write down. And they're movie ideas, and they're scene ideas, and they're these revelations of like, wait, you should... You should cut that. You need to cut that and put it in the yeah. next episode. And I'm like, that's not a writer's room. I don't want to just shit on a writer's room, but a writer's room is is 15 sets of eyeballs looking at you going like, what do you think? What do you, and right. I'm just like, come on, let's go. Let's go. Come on. Yeah. That it, it, it sounds like you agree. That does not feel like the quiet, um, undefinable mist that I yeah. know as creativity. It feels yeah. like creativity pretending to be a job mm -hmm. so we don't feel guilty about paying people i'd yeah. rather those people stay home and let them rock their babies and if they have a revelation share it i don't know you need, you, i need that space i realize that now like i just this week i got an airbnb in hoboken whatever um just by myself because i was like i have to like i have to write this i have to finish this i have to do this and i swear to you i got almost nothing done because i was just completely focused on it and i need to not focus on something for a while for me to figure it out like i can't that's it's just brute forcing it doesn't work I and i've had this same discussion with people at google in terms of like brainstorming meetings because you sit there in a, in a room for for a day and you just think about the same thing over and over again for hours when what you really need to do is think about it for a few hours, then go do something completely unrelated to it, completely unrelated so that you can like give yourself your mind a break and then also like make connections that you wouldn't have made otherwise right. while you were just thinking about it. And that's and, go and yeah, so I we, agree with you 100 percent. We're not cut from the same cloth. We're stitched together in the same quilt. That's how together. <laughs> And we mentioned Mad Men. So if you, as you're making TV, if you were obliged to watch Mad Men again, I actually think the reason why Matt Weiner knew so much about that world was because it was like making a TV show. He has his writers, he has his producers, and he has his clients, which is kind of like the studio, right? Yeah. And Don Draper says exactly what you said. So Matt, right. he says, think about it really hard for a couple yeah, hours. that's right. And stop, and then he goes to the movies! Right. And... I said to Judd recently, I was like, my next show, I really want to see if I can work um, four hours a day. Like, I just want to, if I meet with the writers, it would just be for three, four hours. And he reminded me, he was like, that's sort of what you did with Crash. Like, and I was like, <laughs> oh, right, that's true. But I want everybody to be doing it. I don't want to be the, the guy who can leave so he leaves uh, because I know. But, but here's the thing. I feel like the model... It is kind. I, I read Michaela Cole. Um, she did. I may. I may destroy you. And she. She wrote all of those episodes. She had. She like 
went off, wrote them. She came back and she like read them with people, got feedback, thought about it, then went off again. So I just feel like the the work of the writer's room, if it's supposed to be more technical and task-based, then that's okay. You know, if you've done the creative, then they can figure out like the holes maybe, you know, maybe they don't need the time that you need, you know. That's, I, that's, I, you're again just so in my alley. We're 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 getting mugged, and there are three women from three different generations, and they react differently. My move, if I've never been mugged, would always be to scream "wrong guy" and I just, and just, just see just see if that works. Really, my my move would be like, here, do you want my sweater too? Do you want my hat? Do you, like I was just, I would be naked by the end of it. Yeah, very Jesus of Nazareth. I like that. Yeah. I mean, if I'm being real, I, I would just be like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take please, take it all. Please go. I, I let's let's <laughs> let's get this over with. Um, I I'm not a tough or scary person. I don't think it's smart to be. Anyway, I don't know. What I was saying was, if so, we're both in the same position. We're writing shows, and my model is the "This May Destroy You" model or the True Detective model, which mm-hmm. is the auteur model. Yeah. If I come in with every script broken at least and then say to the room can you make this better can you read this and make it better can you uh do surgery with me instead of play god with me like right. let me make the garden of eden i'll I'll make all the animals and all the plants yeah. and then you come in and help me prune i feel like that might be better than what we're talking about which is just sort of sitting around because you know what it's like you could be working on it too long, too hard. And then somebody who just, their coffee hits them just right. And they're very persuasive and they get up and they're getting these big laughs in the room that might go in and that might be replacing something that we're all tired of thinking about. But the thing you're tired of thinking about might be a hundred times better, but because somebody like performatively pitched something. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I've been the guy performatively pitching something just because (laughs) Just to like end the day. Yeah. But was it better? I mean, I couldn't be more interested. I mean, who knows? Maybe it was better. Maybe it wasn't. But I mean, yeah, there's so many things that I've I've written and tossed aside because it didn't land. And I I look back on them and I'm like, oh, no. Like even my the the 10 tricks, that was something I wrote in a notebook when I was like 29. And I didn't look at it again until I was 34 and turned it into something. So, yeah. That's I don't know so where I'm going with that, but you know. I want to know. Well, literally, where have you written the pilot? So, I'm actually working on two shows. I'm working on um, how to be successful. That pilot is is done, and then I'm also working on a more personal pilot, and that's the one that I'm. That's that's the one that I'm working on right now. That's not done yet. So you have sort of like the more sex in the city and then you're working on more of a, I'm trying to think of a parallel, like a more personal, you know, it's like a (laughs) crashing. It's like my crash. (laughs) There you go. There you go. I like that very much. I'd love to be a touchstone. I was going to say the wonder years. I need to watch more TV shows. (laughs) Oh, I just watched that pilot. Very good pilot. See, okay. Sarah, unpack that because I think you're, you're sharing something that I consider to be one of the most important secret weapons of creating TV is watch a lot of pilots. I was writing a pilot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. I watched Breaking Bad. I watched Stranger Things and something that we were like, this should be the first two episodes. I was like, nope, the pilot has to be 
everything we've got. We have to throw everything at them to hook them 100%. And I had in my pocket to be like, it's like Stranger Things. It's not just 11 shows up. It's 11 shows up, the portal opens, and and the, the lab is massacred and all these wow. different things. We got to do everything. But we're back to like, what is our pure uh, spring of creativity? And what is just feeding yourself good stuff? So, so tell me a little bit about that part of your process. Oh, God. I, well, I mean, I've just been watching like every single pilot. I mean, also because I, another thing I realized with my special is, is uh, the director has a lot of power. And I didn't realize that um, going in, in terms of like, um, I'm a, I like to choose my words very carefully. I like, I like, I like jokes that make me laugh really hard, but I also just, I like smart jokes too. Like I, I just, words are important. Sentences are important. All that stuff is important to me. And you could have a director that actually doesn't care that much about words. It's more about visuals and it's more about feelings and all of that stuff. And I feel like that's really important. So, I mean, I'm watching pilots. I'm looking, I, it's so great after making this special, the way that I watch a show, like I watched last night, I watched um, some kind of heaven, which is a documentary about the villages in Orlando. Um, the old folks community. Have you mm-hmm. heard of it? No. And it's a documentary that's shot like Requiem for a dream. <laughs> and it is so good. It is so creepy and it is, it's awesome. And it's like, I can see those things now. I can see like, why is there a slow push on this versus like, and how weird it is, but how cool it is. And all this, it just, it just opened my mind making a special to things that I just never even noticed before. Um, And so that's why I just love watching. I just love watching pilots because I love watching how they establish reality. Like Mm. that is the biggest thing for me, especially with comedy. It's like, wait, am I smart enough to know this. Therefore I wouldn't make, this wouldn't be funny because I should know this already. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. knowing what the character knows mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. I'm, I feel like I might not be making much sense, but no, I, I, w- I was thinking uh, so many of the things you're saying are making sense. Okay. Let's unpack that last one to make sure you make it clear. <laughs> you're saying when you're watching something, just say it again. Okay. So like, so in my, in, in how to be successful um, there, you know, the initial idea for this character, this male character is somebody who, you know, understands that there's some sexism at work, gets on Google, searches how to fix sexism, clicks on the first result, says, okay, let's form a committee. But, and that's kind of funny in a goofy way, but if you want to make something realistic, any manager in the world right now wouldn't just go to Google and search how to fix sexism, click on the first link. It's actually doesn't it's actually doesn't fit in with reality of, that I was trying to establish with with that show. So mm-hmm. now when I watch 30 Rock, I'm like that is the silliest thing that doesn't make any sense that she's walking around covered in all of in like, you know, eggs. That would never happen. People would stop and say, "Hey, what's wrong with you?" like, you know, if you were like trying to make something really realistic, but she made that choice because it's funny and that makes sense in that world. So I feel like the pilot has to establish that world. Like what is the level of intelligence that everyone has? Um, you know, and, and so then you just know, like what jokes will make sense and what won't, you know, I don't know. Absolutely. No, I was, I was thinking when I was watching the, um, Ted Lasso pilot, like some of, a lot of it's really funny, but some of the jokes, he's too smart to make those. Like he wouldn't say that, like he's smarter than that. You know, I, I haven't seen Ted Lasso, but when you get the sense that, um, the script 
every character is making the same kind of jokes because it's the writer and nobody has their own level of intelligence. We say this all the time when we watch shows. I go, that that joke betrays the tone of yeah. the show. So what you're talking about is, obviously, you know this, but you're dialing in the tone. 30 Rock was like, we're The Simpsons. We don't care. Right, and yeah. Obviously, The Simpsons was where The Simpsons, we don't care. Yeah. But Mad Men, which is a very funny show, too, is obviously trying to be very... And so is West Wing. I heard Aaron Sorkin say... In his masterclass, he was like, I hate when you're watching a show and a lawyer and a client are driving up to the courthouse. And as they're walking out, he's going, now, remember, they're going to ask you about. And he's like, they would have talked about that for for weeks. And you need to are you writing TV based on other TV or are you writing TV based on your experience of reality? Mm -hmm. And what you might find as you make a TV show is um, the reality is they talked about that in the lawyer's office, um, right? That con- that's where that conversation happened. Now you're going to have a line producer that says, can they have that conversation as they're walking up to the courthouse? Because to shoot it in the lawyer's office, that's half a day of shooting. That's what I hate. I, <laughs> I know! Oh but here's, here's what Mike Birbiglia would say. Mike Birbiglia, who's obviously a mentor of, of mine, he's and one of my best friends, he said... Um, Are we really on this planet to just make like an easy production schedule? Is that really like what we're here to do? We're going to die one day. Let's make a vision. Let's make it how it's supposed to be. Something else Mikey told me, which I think is great and will give you some of your um, power back, uh, meaning if it's in the script, uh, and forgive me if you already know this, but this is somewhat new to me, like put in the shots. Like I like writing in the Mm -hmm. camera slowly pushes in. Oh, interesting. And I'll put the characters off screen, you know, Mm. OS meaning we're not seeing them. So there's all this like direction in, in the script. And the best way to do that is, you know, angle on Mm -hmm. uh, Chris registering this. He looks upset. Like you can, you can put in those shots and then, my experience, once you get past the pilot, so you did a standalone special yeah. and the director had a lot of um, sway and you know persuasion over it. TV is a writer's medium. So once you're off the ground, you'll see that like you'll get the director's cut, but then you, as the EP, you'll be making your cut. Like you'll mm-hmm. have, like I didn't direct any of Crashing, but like we were all directing it together. That's no disrespect to the, directors they were great but it was a collaboration so i think you'll enjoy that that's yeah that's the the yeah i mean my thing is that i i see it in my head and i i forget that no one is in my head and so like then you get to set like um like the cupcake shoes um mm-hmm. which is this thing that cola scola wrote um it was just supposed to be a cupcake with some feet on it, you know, and then we get to set and then there's, there are these huge people built on cupcakes and it was just so elaborate. And so I, we only had a few of them and we, you know, we only had a few takes that we could do. And if I had just drawn, if I had just drawn a picture, which would have been so easy for me to draw, yeah. it would have saved so much time and energy. And it's just like making sure to be as specific as you possibly can. Yeah. I think we're also burdened with me with, with page count, like fuck, I I don't know, people might, my producers might not have liked this, but I was just like, the script might be longer than a minute a page. So it might not be a 28 page script, but it's because you put in those long yeah. descriptors because you have a, you say it's a cupcake with feet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
It's a cupcake with feet. It's not fancy. Oh my God. But it's also really hard to like, because that's very succinct. But like sometimes you, you have this thing in your head and you, you have trouble like describing it with the words, you know? Sure. No, I completely understand. It's a total pain in the ass. Yeah. And and Sorkin, one of my heroes, doesn't write a lot of descriptors. So, like, there's different styles. But I also think when you're at a Sorkin level, you're going to be involved in that edit. Yeah. <laughs> we're, ta- we're talking a lot of showbiz stuff. Have you ever seen a ghost? <laughs> no ghosts? I've never seen a ghost, but I believe in, I believe that there are ghosts around us all the time. I love your confidence because I'm watching you in this ever darkening. <laughs> I know, it's like you the look like going down. You're on the set of Succession, like in the office, and it's getting darker and darker. And I'm like, wow, I love that you're totally fine with being like, and there's specters all around. <laughs> um, no ghost aliens ever see a UFO? I've never seen a UFO. I mean, haven't we all, though, un- unidentified flying object? Lots of times I've seen thing up, seen things that are just like, I don't know what that is. I, we were in Ojai and all these UFO people were going to Ojai because apparently at the time of year we were up there, they were like, there's going to be all these UFOs. And Val and I were looking at the mountains. We weren't looking at you for UFOs. And we saw like a spark in the sky slowly moving. And we were just like, it's happening. Yeah, like it's how, ha- and I took out my phone, <laughs> and then like ten minutes of watching it, it was an airplane, and we felt oh. like complete idiots. But I, what I'm here, IFO, <laughs> it was an identifiable flying object. <laughs> not, not as fun. Not as fun. <laughs> not as fun. But you, you like that sort of stuff. You're sort of open yeah. to the idea. I um, you laugh a lot. <laughs> I do. That's another thing that I really love about you is that one of the things that well my husband doesn't laugh at anything oh no ever like he's a he's he's a tech person yeah he's a tech person he's an engineer and like if he like if he cracks a smile a little bit I'm like oh god this is gold like that would be amazing um (laughs) and I've always wanted to be someone like that because I feel like people try harder to like please people like that you know and and then like you have no trouble just being like, I'm happy and this is funny and everything's great. You know, oh, it's just I, like really refreshing. I love that. But I mean, when we were doing the writer's room, one of the jokes about me was, this is my impression of Pete when he hates a pitch. I like that. <laughs> like I, I didn't have enough of your husband's energy, that discernment to just, and then when like, so if you put me to the test, and if you start trying to get your jokes in my script, I, I don't want to say like all of this goes, but it's so one of the things I like about this podcast is it's just like it's like a playroom. Like yeah. you're my guest. And I just sort of tell myself now is the time to like be receptive and not too judgmental and just enjoy. That's what I but, like too. What, but then you've been in the position. We're back in your writer's room. Now you have to. Listen to joke pitches with a stoned face. This is why I, I, right? Turning what you love into a job is a heavy, heavy burden. (laughs) It it really is. It really is. Yeah. I've never worked on something that I really, I mean, I've worked on a lot of things that I, I cared a lot about, but I find myself in this moment right now, just like it's, 
it's my heart. I'm like, I have to do this, like in a way that I've never felt before. And it's, it's so painful because it's like, I, I want to not care. I want to just be like, yeah, if it gets made great, if not, it's fine. But like, I, I that's not how I feel at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. I talked to somebody, I think it might've been, I don't know. I don't think it was Mikey. This doesn't sound like something you would say is I'm like you, I'll have a couple different things going and then I'll have my favorite. And I, Oh, it was Emily Gordon. And I was like, what do you do if your favorite thing doesn't go? Cause you yeah. were all, we're aware that the thing that you're like, I literally in the pitch was like, this is my deathbed show. Meaning if you told me I had a year to live, I would make this show. I think that's important. Um, if if you really feel that way to share that, it maybe could be weird. But anyway, <laughs> they they signed on, so that was okay. And then I said to Emily, I was like, what happens if my favorite thing doesn't go? And she goes, yeah, it sucks. That's why I don't have favorites. She's she's just sort of learned to professionally yeah. numb herself. Maybe not numb, but yeah. um, compartmentalize herself enough to be like, that's how it goes. That's not mm-hmm. going. And now we'll shift over here. And I was like, I will be devastated if the thing I'm working on doesn't happen. So I, I'm, I'm, right, I'm right there with you. Yeah. But what does that look like? I mean, you're, you're really, is this, this is the CBS or this is the crashing or. Um, it's yeah. It's the show that's like a little bit more personal for me. And yeah, I mean, there's just, I'm, I just, <laughs> I wrote a pie, wrote a pilot. Everybody writes like their first pilot and it's like, I thought it was good, but it like nobody really responded to it. And my literary agent was just like, well, well, the show has to get made. And I thought I said to her, eh, it doesn't have to get made. And now I've written something that I'm like, oh, this has to get made. And it's just a very uncomfortable feeling. Cause like, it's what if it doesn't, and then I'm just gonna be really sad. Well, or do I take all of that stuff and just like try to make something else with it? I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that. Well, first of all, you're helping me obviously just remember what you must love about TikTok and Instagram and, and just like, I have a great thing and you put it yeah. out Yeah. Yeah. You're and, done with it. And to think there's another gatekeeper in the way. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I will say that like doing a bunch of different things, you do see that you ever read a bunch of books by the same author and you're just sort of like, well, they only really do this one thing. They're saying this one thing, not in the bad way. I'm actually trying to encourage both of us, meaning if these things didn't go, yes, it shows up in the next thing. Like yes. you just can't help but say, yes. "I had, I'm, I was born in Jamaica, and, and maybe right. it'll be the Dominican Republic." But like, you're gonna have a character that is going yeah. to express these feelings. <laughs> like, well, Kevin James, do you know him? I, I've never met Kevin James. No, I really love him though. Yeah, I mean, he's. He, I was just looking at his IMDb, and he, I think he has like three shows where he's named Kevin. You know, it's like, and I was thinking to myself, oh God, I've already done a special, and my name was Sarah Cooper in the special, and I want to do another show where my name is Sarah Cooper. But those two people are going to be different people. Is it going to be okay? Yeah. Who the fuck cares, Sarah? Nobody cares. Yeah. I think that's so. good advice you gave yourself. <laughs> Nobody. No. I mean, I did a talk show where my name was Pete Holmes, and then I did, and it was called the Pete Holmes Show, and then I did Crashing, where my name was Pete Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, that didn't even occur to me. I don't, I think you're going to be absolutely fine. In fact, there's even like a part of me that was like, that's kind of cool because as mm-hmm. you're watching yeah. your origin story, you'll know, cause my character got shit on so much. People would tell me, but it's okay. We know it works out for this guy. Like we know he's yeah. going to get his own yeah. time or whatever it might be. Oh, wow. Like, And that made it okay. It gave us license to shit on him even more than I was actually shit on in real life. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, that's the beautiful thing about this is that, and that's why I kind of like had to leave Google is because I just didn't see myself doing that for the rest of my life. But like writing, I could do, I could see myself doing it until like the I'm 92. And, and then you'll be the Maya Rudolph helping out the Sarah Coopers. That's the I don't want to help anybody. I, just, <laughs> I'm not helping. I, I'm just kidding. Oh, I thought you were taking issue with the word help. I mean, no. empowering. Like, you know, like I saw that with Gary Shandling and I saw that with Judd, obviously, where it's like these guys, they're did trained. Did you meet Gary Shandling? I did. He did the podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And these were guys that have legacies of mentorship. So what is Natasha Leone and what is why is Fred doing your special? It's because, first of all, it's funny. And also they're realizing that like that's that's what makes this game sort of infinite. Yeah playable is to have mm-hmm. that chapter. Yeah. So, I, you worked on Google Docs. Is there anything of note there? I mean, was it hard to be a comedian or, try, or aspiring comedian while you were also like kind of doing a dream tech job? I mean, it seems yeah. like a dream job. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the best, it's one of the best companies in the world to work for. I mean, you know, cafe, I mean, everything that you've seen in shows is true. Um, and I, I loved working there. I go to some other offices and like, they're, they're just like these cold cubicles, like at Google, they made everything so warm. You didn't want to leave. I mean, it was, that was all part of the thing though. Stay there as long as you can. So you can get a lot of work done. (laughs) It's like a casino. Yeah, but exactly. They pump oxygen in. Yeah. You don't know what time of day it is. It's so true. You got your food, you have everything you need. You have. Were there nap pods? Nap pods? I love the nap pods. There was, a library on my floor with hidden rooms behind the shelves that you could open up and there would be like, there's a lazy boy chair in there. You go in there. Oh my God. As long as you want. And I would do that a lot. I, How I do, do you signal that someone's in there? <laughs> like that's all I'm thinking. There was a little sign that you just oh. turn it. And so you knew that somebody was in that room. Perfect. Think yeah. That is some good Google engineering. <laughs> Real life. I love it. And I would go in there and I would turn it and then I would leave and then I'd come back, you know, I would like save it for myself. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, but I didn't actually like the actual, I didn't actually care about the actual work of it. You know, I was in a meeting where they were trying to decide if when you click this button, it opens up in a new window or it opens up in a a new tab or if it opens up in the same window. And I I was like, who the I don't care. Like, yeah. just do it. And if people don't like it, change it. It's the internet. Like, you know, we yeah. can do that. They'll let so, you know. Yeah. So um, I was doing all that. And then it was, people were like really supportive. I did comedy at, at the Google talent show. I came in second to this guy who was good at beatboxing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I did, I did comedy at our offsites. You know, I, they, a lot of my coworkers came to my shows cause they were all like two drink minimum, like eight, <laughs> 15 person bringers at Gotham. Oh like, my God. <laughs> fucking ridiculous, but they had money. So it worked out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean it, and everybody there has like a really good sense of humor. Like I, I met my husband there. I mean, and, and he has a very dry sense of humor and he, he yeah. So not an easy laugh, but a funny guy. Super funny guy, but you won't, you can't tell he's kidding. I didn't know he was making a joke until like three months after we met. I thought he was going to kill me because he was making these jokes that were like terrifying. And then I was like, 
oh, he's kidding. He's oh, joking. Wow. Like we were in line um, at the, and people take such a long time to pick their fucking chicken. Like everybody gets free food and it's just like, pick your fucking free food. Like get out of the way. <laughs> and he like said to me, you know, like um, I'm, I'm going to hire a sniper to come into this cafe and I'm going to get him to sit up there. And if people take longer than 30 seconds, I'm just going to take them out. <laughs> oh my God. And he said it with like, no, nothing, just nothing. And I was like, holy shit, this guy is like a psychopath. He's serious about his chicken. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then, but you then got- once I realized, I was like, oh, that's hysterical. You know, like, that's really funny. So it took me a while and, and he, yeah. So well, with and the- everybody there, all the engineers have like a pretty good sense of humor. I would think so. And they, nothing was sacred. You know, they would, Sergey and Larry were the founders of the company and they would do, um, uh, every Friday they would do a, um, a meeting where they would talk to all of the, all of the employees, 60,000 employees at once and tell everybody what was going on. And they were really funny. They were like mm. a, a, a duo, like, I don't know, a comedy duo. And while they were, while they were performing, while they were doing their, their, their Friday meeting, there was a stream of memes being made by everybody at the company, making fun of everything that they were saying. So people were watching what they were saying and they were watching people make fun of them in real time. Um, And it was, yeah, I mean, it was a great place to work. Oh, I would love to live meme a dry presentation (laughs) or a funny presentation. It doesn't matter. That's great. That's super fun. I, I've been interviewed at Google a number of times, and it's always an employee. And that's where I met your book. I mean, that's where I got your book. My husband Is that met right? you, and yeah, he got you to sign the book for me. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's what it is. Yeah. So that would have been in San Francisco? No, that was in or New, York. New York. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the New York one. Um, mm-hmm. I always remember, and I've watched a lot of Google Talks. Richard Rohr did a great Google Talk, and I'm always like, who is this person? How did they find this person that can interview? Because usually if it's like an in-house corporate person that's going to interview you, you know, you just have to hijack it and not let them ask questions and just talk. Yeah. But every time I've done a talk at Google and Facebook too, they find these like probably people like you that have these other talents and are creative and funny. So except when Stephen Colbert came and Eric Schmidt interviewed him and it was, it was so, it was awesome because Stephen Colbert just like ran circles around Eric Schmidt, like who was like all of our bosses. And so we just got to watch Stephen Colbert, like basically just pants Eric Schmidt, who's <laughs> this like billionaire, like leader of the company. So you just roasted him for being a bad interview. He would just make fun of his questions, like to his face. Like it was great. That is, that is rule number one. When I do corporates. If it seems like it'll work, you find out who the boss is. And if you make fun of them even a little bit in the right way, uh, I don't think you could say I'm going to snipe him if he takes too long to get his chicken. (laughs) If he's notorious for not getting his chicken. So your husband, I met your husband at Google and I signed your book. Um, This is, is, we're we're actually at 90 minutes, believe it or not. And this is, no, no, we usually go two hours. Okay. This is usually the point where we talk about the meaning of life. Um, although you could have been coming at my book a million different ways, just as a comedian or whatever. I'm wondering if you were raised religious, were your parents, um, and then how that arced to where you are now, how you tell the story of reality or life or whatever. Oh, wow. 
What a deep question. I was, my family's really religious. My mom recently converted to a Jehovah's Witness and my dad is Christian, reads the Bible all the time, listens to like, you know, every, every single conversation with my dad, there is a mention of God and there's a mention of giving God thanks. And there's, um, you know, pray to God about this. If, if you know you have a problem, pray about it. Um, they pray about me all the time. Uh, so it, there's a lot of religion involved. And I think that for me, the gratitude of religion is, has helped me the most because I, I'll, I constantly just feel thankful for everything that I have. And I feel like, I don't know if I would have had that if I didn't have parents that were just always talking about giving thanks. Mm. Um, so I love that. we would go to church every Sunday and if, if we couldn't make it to church, we would have a devotional and my dad would sit us in a circle and we would read from the Bible and, um, I've never read the Bible cover to cover, but I've read pieces of it. Um, and I went to Jerusalem. You did? Like eight years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's just, have you been? Yeah. Did you just go on your own? It was actually a work trip, but then I decided to, you know, do, see the old city and, you know, do every, I'll do all the touristy type religious stuff. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I think it's just, there's too many similarities between all these religions to the point where like, maybe it was just one thing, you know, maybe there was, you each have a prophet, they each ascended, they each, and it's all from the exact same place. Like maybe it was just the same thing that happened and you each saw it in a different way and made your own ideas about it. Like, you know, right. Like everybody has their hand on an elephant. Yeah. Right. What? You you know, that parable, it's like, (laughs) It's five, it's five blind guys touching an elephant. And they, they ask one guy, say, what, what are you touching? He's touching his leg. And he goes, I'm touching a tree. It's like a trunk of a tree. Oh. And the other guy's touching the snout. It's like a snake. Yeah. One guy's touching the tail, all these different things. That's sort of a parable for how truth is one. But when you come at it from a different part of the elephant, you'll be saying, you'll be talking about an elephant in very different terms. Mm-hmm. And that's a very compassionate way. And I think a very true way. I'm wondering, I can't find the reading. I, I was just reading about Richard Rohr talking about it. It's like, if we could take the egocentric focus off of our tradition being correct and then yeah. wasting our time defending and debating and building walls instead of saying there's one universal truth and this is how my tradition um, experiences it and interprets it and, and shares it and practices it and tries to commune with it, but not to the the belittlement of every other faith, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. would be doing a lot. Nobody touching the elephant goes like, I'm touching a trunk, but I'm totally open to it being a snake. Like right. you know, That's sort of the flaw. It's fascinating how much of our problems as humans come down to wanting to be right. That's, I mean, memorizing specific passages of the Bible to win debates or to make points is what the ego does with uh, a sacred text, any sacred text. It could be a, a, a book of nonfiction. You can right. use it to prove a point, And that is an ego trip. And mm-hmm. when you sort of learn to like look past all that and use it to anchor yourself into a mystery, that stuff becomes like so beyond the point. You're just mm-hmm. like, I want to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. 
I want to prove that that I'm talking to myself right now. Like mm-hmm. there's me as Sarah mm-hmm. Cooper, and 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 here's you as Pete Holmes, and and that's that's the beauty. And we're all mm-hmm. on a rock, floating in infinity. As I say every episode, none <laughs> of us know what's going on. But you're right. We do have these different traditions, and they all do at their higher levels hint to a very similar thing: humility, mm-hmm. patience, kindness. Mm-hmm. Uh, reverence and and gratitude. Meister Eckhart, I think you might enjoy this, says if the only prayer you pray in your whole life is thank you, that will have been enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm, that's on my fridge. I'm just like, that's mm-hmm. it. It's not your ability to articulate it perfectly. Like what kind of God could be articulated perfectly? I, I can't. I can't articulate the code of Google Docs perfectly. <laughs> right. No one can. <laughs> no one can because it's a living AI and we've lost control. Um, but to have the humility to go like I don't know, but this is my this is my connection. Like mm-hmm. this is this is where this is my straw in the great mystery milkshake. But it's not the only straw, and it's not the right straw. But like I'm not going to begrudge anybody if they're getting transcendence and connection and union and bliss and ecstasy and peace from their thing. I, I spent so much of my life wasting my time going, yeah, but Buddha didn't come back from the dead. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Just that's childish. That's an ego trip. It's narcissism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do you? I mean, I guess what do you fight for? I mean, if we're all like the same and we're all kind of you know trying to do the same thing, and 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 you think about, come at it from that perspective. I mean, I guess it goes back to the writers' room. You want to be nice, so you don't you know shit on someone's joke. But at the same time, you don't like it. You don't think it's funny. What do you do? <laughs> like, well. I'll answer that in the writer's room case, too. First, not answer it. I'll talk about it. What's interesting, though, if we unpack that, I know what is funny and good. Is that true? Uh, Not really. I know what you just pitched is not good. Is that true? Uh, Not really. Meaning, sometimes... Someone pitching you something bad, quote unquote, is the fuel that will get you thinking about something good. We're back to you watching bad pilots to learn what Mm -hmm. not to do. Mm -hmm. So there's something about looking past the problem and questioning the idea. That's humility. That's what I need to work on, too, because I really do have like a a big red button that I'm like, wrong, get out of here. Really? I mean, it's internal. I'm too oh, polite. I'm too, I'm, I'm too polite to show it. Yeah. But like, really, the number of times now that I'm thinking about it, that somebody would pitch something and I didn't like it, and then it ended up in the show, or even more embarrassing and more humiliating, but humiliating in the good way, meaning humbling. Someone would pitch something. I would say that's my least favorite thing I've ever heard in a polite way. Then Judd would come in eating a sandwich, and he'd be like, I like it. And then I have to tuck my tail and put it in the script and then it kills and it works. And then, you know, what happens is somebody compliments it and I'm at the supermarket and all I say is thank you. When really what I should say is, you know, uh, this is a fake example, but Beth Stelling pitched that and I didn't like it, but then Judd liked it. So really I'm full of shit. So I, I really think patience and humility, even in the creative process is always a, a, a safe bet. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I know we just shit on the writer's room and and I stand by what we said, but I'm also sort of like, is there a value to getting even things you don't like pitched into you? Because at the end of the day, something you like might come out. 
but yeah, I don't know. Or it make, might make you think of something else that you do like. Judge or yeah. you, something gets pitched that you don't like and it kills. So, and that's happened Ooh. to me too. So, <laughs> yeah. Jed said their job is to pitch you something that makes you think of the thing you like. That He said that when we were starting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know somebody told me Jon Stewart on The Daily Show was very much that way, was all the ideas seemed to be just things to push his big water wheel that would take him to his own idea. Mm-hmm. But like the creative force of their ideas would take him to his idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true. But how are you tying that to spirit? Oh, if we're all one, what do we stand for? Yeah, because I, I, I kind of, this is the struggle that I have. Like I'm starting to like, because I've, one of the things I think I like about stand up is it is such a singular thing. You, you decide, you, you do it, you perform it, you judge it, you move on or don't. And, and so like now I'm starting to work with, with uh, teams of people and it's always been hard for me because I, I second guess myself. I question myself and I don't know what to argue over. I don't know. Sometimes I don't, should I fight for this or should I let it go? You know, or, Mm. you know, and it's just a hard, I guess you have to kind of like listen to yourself and know, like, no, this is something I really need to, to, to have a disagreement about, which I don't like having disagreements. So I try to avoid them. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'm going through the exact same thing right now. And I, like when I, I pitched this movie to this production company. And I said to them, I was, because especially with movies, if you write a movie and you give it to a director, movies are director's mediums. And I'm like, we can't give it to a director that's going to change the ending. I was like, that's my only point. Because I was like, if you change the ending, and it's not this, but where he's actually the killer, if you change that, the whole point of the movie is, is ruined. And I've just wasted my favorite idea. So like knowing your non-negotiables, I think is important. Mm -hmm. But when we come to like the best prayer you can pray is thank you. Or as the Dalai Lama says, my religion is kindness. If your non-negotiables in spirituality are really vague (laughs) or general kindness, patience, humility, I think you're, you're going to do really well. When you start getting into virgin birth, sinless life, physical death and resurrection, um, literal hell, literal heaven, um, literal scriptures, inerrant word of God, uh, inerrant Pope or inerrant prophet. Um, you just get into, you're building more and more fence. You, you're nailing yeah. more fence posts. And I, the, I see reality and I, I've I've heard this articulated by Richard Rohr better than me as this constant outpouring. Like it's just like it's almost as if you could everything around us is, is a waterfall. It's just constantly being given, mm-hmm. and that includes you. Mm-hmm. That can put you in a pretty grateful place where it no longer is the point to prove that another part of the waterfall isn't doesn't right. think like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that waterfall is false. Waterfalls. <laughs> I had the same thought, Pete. Oh my! God. Of course, I, I really, I feel like we're very similar, and th- and that makes me happy because I, I, I think I did okay. Like I survived what you're going through, and not just survived. I, I found ways to enjoy it. So I'm really optimistic for you, and excited to see what you're about to make. Thank you. Yeah, it's. Uh, I feel because um, I'm 43. Um, I just turned 43 in December and I, I just feel this like sense of urgency with everything now. Maybe that just happens at a certain age, but I don't think I would be doing the same things at 30. I think at 30, I just wanted to do whatever 
anybody wanted me to do and, you know, that would get me, you know, the fame and the fortune and all of that stuff. And I, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what I was doing. And I don't know. Now it matters, you know, a lot. That's, I mean, I'm really not just saying this to butter your bread, but I remember when I got divorced, I've said this a million, but I'll keep it quick. John Daly and Brett Gelman said to me, I was 28 when my, my first wife left me and they said, congratulations, you got through your twenties without um, any major fuck ups. And and they're like, you didn't get arrested. You didn't get a drug problem. All these things that you could do in your 20s in New York City. And yeah. they were sort of like, you were incubated. That's a good thing. And I'm feeling the same thing for you. First of all, you know you could play 28 on a TV show. That is ridiculous. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on genetically, but like, go, like, there's like people screaming, go fuck yourself because you could do it. Um And also you were incubated. There's nothing wrong with youth, but the fact that you were sort of protected and and preserved and now your your train has come in and you can use it with some wisdom Mm -hmm. of of life. I mean, you just dodged potentially the bullet of of making the worst Jamaican me crazy. (laughs) You know, on TNT, and like you're you're a steel drum instructor, but you really want to open a moped rental shop. Um, Wait, let me write this down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think no mistakes. I think it's going to be. I great. feel the same way about mistakes. I just remembered that I <laughs> I married a guy when I was thirty, and I got divorced after three months, and he was really religious, and I pretended to be religious. Um, and he, what? he was in love with Joel Osteen and I took him to see Joel Osteen. Sarah, I tell know. me everything. <laughs> tell me everything. I just remember like, oh my God, we have that in common too. Well, not really because you were actually in love. I think um, <laughs> this guy just wanted his green card, you know? Um, so <laughs> you married a, a Joel Ohead that wanted a green card from what country? Italy, Italy, yeah. Married a hardcore Osteen from Italy, and you pretended to love your best life now for three uh, for three months. Oh God, yeah. I met him in an acting class, and he was extremely handsome. And everybody was he was into me. I don't know if he was into me because he saw an easy mark, but <laughs> he um, he was into me, and everyone was like, "Oh my God, he really likes you." And I was like flattered. It was kind of like the museum thing. It was just like, oh, like he likes me and they think that that's a good thing. So then I guess this is, I should like him because everybody thinks this is like, you know, amazing that he likes me. And so, yeah, then we got married and uh, that was bad. And then I, I, uh, wait, how long have you, how, how long have you known him when you got married? A month. Yeah. And he proposed. Yeah. He proposed in a, in a Chinese restaurant in a... Um, was it a surprise? Had you talked about it? Um, it was kind of a surprise. Um, but I, yeah, we, we talked about it. God, what was I thinking? Um, it, was a Chinese, it was a Chinese restaurant in a strip mall. And, he had, and the only reason we were there was because there was a problem with his foot. And so he needed to see a doctor that was also in the strip mall. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then we like eloped. We went to um, uh, Sonoma and we eloped. And then I lived with him for like a month. And I was like, this is not 
good. And then, yeah, I, I left. And What was the moment? Do you remember the moment? <laughs> Can I tell you how stupid this moment is? <laughs> I, 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 was, I was good at, you know, internet stuff. So I made him a website and he didn't like it. And I was like, I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my God. Italian Osteen strip And he didn't like it. And that was when you had your come to Jesus. That's when I was like, you know what? Go fuck yourself. I just made you a fucking website. You can take your jolly Osteen shit. And I, oh, God. Anyway. So. Right. What were you about to say? Oh, I mean, I was just, I took him to fucking Texas. I paid for the tickets. I, I got, I did everything. <laughs> did you meet Joel? I didn't get to meet Joel. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect end to that anecdote. A heartfelt and thoughtful, I didn't get to meet Joel. Oh my God. Do you ever Facebook stalk this person? Where is he? Dude, he's a Trump supporter. Oh my God. So Can you believe? <laughs> because he's hardcore against abortion. So he's, uh, yeah, I looked at his Instagram like a year ago and I was just like, oh my God, that's the bullet. Oh my. I used to be like that. I was a single, I never really voted on it. But when I was 18, I would identify as a single issue voter because um, we were so anti-abortion in my circle of my church. I don't know if that represents the whole. I'm, I'm guessing it does. But that's why my fantasy, and I, I feel like you're more informed than me. Why doesn't somebody stand up? Why doesn't a Republican stand up and say, Donald Trump's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's Donald Trump. And voting to impeach her against him or standing up against him is standing up against Donald Trump. Like, it reflects mm-hmm. nothing on your party. Do you really think he's a Republican? Mm-hmm. Do you really think he means anything? Like, he's allegiant to the party in any way? Mm-hmm. So when people are like, I got to stick with my party, I got to... He's not your party! Right. Like, I know Republicans, they're not like him. This is another mm-hmm. thing. I'm right. waiting for the... Donald Trump is Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not a Republican. It's okay for Republicans to stand up to him because I feel like that will empower them to get a a, a true Republican, a, a, an even-headed Republican later. Because, because it's 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 not true. I feel like Republicans have said that they have said Donald Trump is not a Republican or a Democrat or whatever. They've said it a million times. Really, but because he got elected on this ticket. And he became president. They, it is him. He he is a Republican. It's mm. just you know what I mean. Like you can't separate it now. It's they're too intertwined. And some people will say this was where we were headed since Ronald Reagan. Mm. This is the natural progression of of what they were trying of what Republicans were. Ronald Reagan was just a mouthpiece. All Republicans want is a mouthpiece. That's how it feels like to me. They want someone who will read this speech and get the money and then go home. That's all they want. And so then when you see someone like AOC on Instagram, just speaking, just talking, just like this is coming from her mind and her heart. It's really refreshing because, you know, no one's paying her to say to do this Instagram live while she's cooking. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, I I don't think so. So, I mean, I just feel like. 
I, I, I feel like people have said he's, he's not, a. it's obvious. I think it's obvious that he's not a Republican. Even this Georgia secretary of state who was getting death threats from the guy still voted for the guy. So like, I, you know what, yeah. there's no logic to it other than if you have an art Republican next to your name, I have to support you. I mean, and, and I think that's the point of this whole term has been this, like, this is crazy. Everyone, everyone, can't you see, can't you see what we're seeing? And, and no, everyone's just stone faced and you're like, wake up. You yeah. know? Oh my God. Thank you. Because I, I was thinking about tweeting that and I was like, I know somebody knows more about this than me and it's you. And I really appreciate that. Cause hey, that, my opinion is, is just one, it's just one Jamaican woman's opinion. <laughs> well, I just, take comfort in the fact that somebody said it, even if it didn't work, because I'm going like, what is this? Why do we think this is a, even a politician? It, it's not a politician. Right. It's, but- and I think that's, that's, that's the, the gaslighting. And I, that's the thing that I've, I've been, I was feeling all last year was, yeah, like, hello, you know, and nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Well, you didn't marry the Italian Osteen, and I'm I'm happy for you. I did marry him. No, I'm I mean you got out. Excuse me, you got out. I got you out. You didn't stay married. I didn't stay married. Thank How God. did he? I was so embarrassed about that, and now it's this funny story. So I'm happy about that. But I was so embarrassed afterward. Is that going to be in this in your show in your personal show? It, it probably should be. The guy went to the guy slept in a, a t-shirt and nothing else. He Donald ducked it. Yeah, well, I I call it um. Winnie the Pooh, but um, <laughs> it really it comes down like you're kind of giving a covert message about the the dick size. Is it Donald? Is it Winnie? Or oh, if yeah. you're really nuts, you say Porky Pig. If it was <laughs> right. Porky Pig, Porky Pig in it, um, but he would Winnie the Pooh. It. Yeah, that's a red flag. That's a flag. Yeah, there's so many flags I, I missed. The, the, the point, the point where like we got married, and then the next day I was at his lawyer's office filling out paperwork about his um. Uh, citizenship that should have been it should have been assigned to me that yeah. something was amiss yeah that, re- that was a red white and green flag that was a, <laughs> that was yeah. an it- italian flag <laughs> turning into a red white and blue flag it was all about flags really <laughs> yeah it really well, was i wonder like now i'm just pitching you something i'm like i don't think it needs to be in your pilot necessarily but it is really funny to use at some point like you can have that episode where you're jumping back in time and, and we don't really know. And like, who is this guy? Yeah. Or yeah. if you really want to get mad men about it, like you seem so put together and like, you would never jump into something too fast, but you intercut it with this other story of you and the yeah. Italian guy. Yeah. Really ripe, really fun. That, and I think that's why I did it is because I, I felt like all my life I've been so put together. And so I wanted to do something that was just crazy and like, yeah. you know, spur of the moment and it no, made no sense. I wanted to do one thing that just made no sense. And that's what happened. Yeah. You, you, pun- <laughs> you punched up your life. Yeah. I did. <laughs> well, this was great. I love this. I, I mean, did, did you have anything else on God? I don't want to cut you off. We sort of went on a tangent. You're talking about, we don't, I mean, I, I don't really know. We, we got, I talk too much is what happened. No. You were religious. You don't feel too religious anymore. Well, I believe in God. I believe in God. I just, you know, I think, I, I think it's just all gotten, I, I, I don't remember. I read your book. I loved it. And I just have a terrible memory, but I just remember really identifying with it in terms of just, I've had this belief in this, in this thing. And I feel like the belief is the most 
important thing. And I don't really want, I don't feel like I need to um, go to church. Um, You know, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I feel very spiritual and I feel spiritually connected to what I'm doing in my life. And I feel like that to me is, is just making, you know, (laughs) making every moment count. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I just told turn. I turned totally lifetime movie there at the second, last second there, but. um, But Sarah, that's it. That's it. That's the juice is, is. Richard Roy says, if you can be present, you'll feel the presence, the capital P presence. So it doesn't, your ability to articulate, defend, build buildings, commune around that feeling is is sort of secondary. I like to say in regards to church, the game is not to go to church, but to never leave church. Um, Mm. My friend Taylor Tomlinson was tweeting, we're not like close friends, but I, I consider her a friend. She was tweeting, what I don't like about meditation is you can't do other things while you're doing it. And that was very funny. And I knew she was joking, but I was like, Uh, I, if, if I see her again, maybe we'll talk about it. I was like, that's what contemplation is, is trying to be in a meditative place where you're washing the dishes yeah. and all you're doing is washing the dishes. Yeah. That is a meditation mm-hmm. and in the same way that talking to you right now can be church. So there's so many other ways to get it. Then I know it doesn't need to have an R next to its name. You know what I mean? It right. doesn't have to be in the party. Right. It's so much freer and, and fluid than that. I think it's, it's that's a- what I always try to do when I wash my face. I just try to think I'm washing my face. That's all I'm doing. I'm washing my that's face. It. That's it. It's really hard, but it is hard. M. Night Chamalan, I read this book about him. He said when he shaves, he'd feel the weight of the shaving cream. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's that's mm-hmm. Zen basically. That's mm-hmm. can you feel the weight of your body right now in your chair? And Val always, it comes from Byron Katie, but we always go, if you don't feel supported, just make a little list of all the things that are literally supporting you right now. Your spine, the chair, Mm. your feet on the ground. Like you're, you are a part of a system that even if your friends have, you know, outcast you and and Twitter hates what you you called Trump a bitch or something. (laughs) I saw that when I was looking you up today. Um, Like even if, if things feel crazy, your heart is beating, your lungs are breathing. This, this is what we're talking about dropping in. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you're, so, and you're supported by the earth. It's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we feel good. We, we got deep, we got political, we got a lot of good creativity showbiz stuff, which I love. Let's end light. Can you tell me a time in your life when you laughed really, really hard? I could say the hardest you've ever laughed, um, but I don't want to burden you with that precise memory, but maybe you were a kid, you're laughing so hard you're crying. Maybe somebody farted. Maybe somebody fell down. Maybe you were on drugs. These are just hot areas for other people. What comes to mind? Um, gosh, so many things come to mind. Um, uh, I was with a friend and I, I love your exploration of drugs too, by the way, I just started, I, I, I'm very late to the weed party, but I do enjoy an edible every once in a while. Yeah. And uh, I was just talking to my friend and, and she was talking about sharing and she said, you know, we over, we overshare a lot, but I heard her say, we owe share a lot. And um, <laughs> we owe, we owe share. We all owe her. We all owe share. And so like, I was like, yes. 
And we were both like, yes, but we didn't know what we were. And then we got, we got to the point where we realized what I had heard and what she had actually said. And I was, I couldn't breathe. I was laughing so hard. (laughs) We overshare a lot. We do. I mean, I really think we should keep it in. You think we shouldn't tell people that we owe share? What do you mean? Well, how much we owe share for Moonstruck? And do you believe in life after love? Wait, that is great. I love that answer. What a fantastic one. Um, Well, thank you, Sarah. Everybody needs to watch. It's called um, Everything's Fine, parodying the most the under parodied but most deserving of parody format of morning talk shows, which is so funny. I laughed so hard, and you're fantastic. And we're going to keep an eye out for everything else you're doing and and the books uh, we've mentioned as well. So check it all out. Um, Is there anything you feel good? I, I feel good. I, I didn't get to say how nice it is to meet you and <laughs> that, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, thank you for having me. I mean, it's, I'm sorry. I turn into this like, oh, thank you so much for having me, but whatever, you know what I mean? No, I, I totally intended to say what a pleasure it is. Thank you for doing the show. And it's really nice to meet you. But w- w- I was just so excited. I started talking like a puppy. So and calling you Snooper. <laughs> and calling you Snooper. Yeah. I mean, now are you cool? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to earn the Snooper. That is the rule. Um, well, I'll, I'll try and think of a better one next time I see you. And I hope I do see you out in LA or New York one of these days. I would love that. Okay. Would you say keep it crispy? It's just how we sign off. Keep it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic.